Welcome, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Joint Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and real estate agent here at Renegade Realty Group with Keller Williams. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? Well, obviously, RDI is this podcast, but also we have local real estate investment and business meetups, two a month. This group's about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No guru bullshit from the front. No smell of stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. All right. And obviously, IDI is also this podcast that you're listening to now where we sit down and continue the real estate conversation. If you're ever interested in attending any of our local meetings, go to renegadedetroit.com, meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Legal disclaimer, don't blame me, folks. It's the world we live in. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I or my guests say today be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision that you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. Don't sue him. Don't sue anybody. All right. Time for the show quote of the week where I pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And we'll see if my guest likes this one. This one's from another one from Ryan Holiday. The obstacle in the path becomes the path. Never forget, within every obstacle is an opportunity to improve our condition. And let me introduce you to a good friend and guest today, Mr. Robert Howard. He was born and raised in California. Don't hold that against him. We, we snagged him here. You know, it's like poaching. He's ours now, right? And Robert purchased his first investment property in 2002, a small three-bed house in Bakersfield, California. He took a $1,000 Home Depot credit card and with the help of a few friends, did some work at the home and placed the tenant. After refinancing that first property and flipping his next property, Robert felt it was time to get his real estate license and begin learning the business. In 2005, he began working full-time in real estate as a licensed real estate agent. He specialized in assisting homeowners that were facing foreclosure and over the next couple of years through the mortgage foreclosure crisis, helped grow a small three-person real estate brokerage into one of the top five real estate firms in Los Angeles County that sold bank-owned properties for the top banks in the U.S. In 2013, Robert was presented with a new challenge to move to Michigan and help a friend grow his real estate note buying company and eventually began flipping properties full-time. And in late 2018, Robert took on another challenge to build the best property management company in Metro Detroit. Reach out to him, Robert Howard, Gabrielle Management. That's Robert at miforrent.com, M-I, Michigan. Get it? For rent.com. Hit him up at his office, 313-752-3999. Or reach out on a cell, 248-403-0808. Welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thanks for having me, man. How you doing, sir? I'm great. How about you? So this has been like four years in the making. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. sitting down at what used to be the old coffee shop on Grand River, and I was like trying to talk you into doing the podcast, and you're like, I don't know about that, man. Yeah, it's been a while. I was telling someone the other day, too, like it's amazing when you look at like where Shields Pizza is, and I remember meeting... I don't know where we're at, somewhere in Corktown, above a bar. and there Corktown was like, Tavern. There was like yeah. 10 people there, you know? <laughs> the dark it, days. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but in reality, I mean, it's, you know, it's probably, like you said, it's probably been, you know, four years. Yeah, roughly, last four or five years, yeah. 2015, 2016, maybe. I mean, it's... 
Yeah, I think I was trying to get you on the podcast pretty hard in 2015. I was pushing hard. I think I called you every month, and finally I was like, we just got to give it some time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So one of the things I was attracted to you is you're also an import to Michigan. I'm an import to Michigan. I like to joke with people that I imported myself here. You know, I know it's not exactly how it works, but that's how I feel. And you kind of did the the same thing, which is one of the reasons why I think we kind of became friends sooner, like outsiders in a city. We saw the opportunity. But I want to go back a little further because your story started in California, right? So what made you, obviously you were doing something. It wasn't like, Hey, today I'm just going to flip a house. What, what kind of, what happened? What got you moving into real estate? Oh, wow. This goes back to, geez, I was 29 about to turn 30. And I remember this clearest day and I was waiting tables and bartending and it was great living in Redondo beach, California, working in Hermosa and you get the sunshine and you know, every, the beach life. It was great. And I worked at, um, a bar where I made very good cash and I worked at a restaurant where I made amazing cash uh, as a waiter. And things were good. I'm in my 20s, living my life, you know. But I remember thinking, man, I'm 29. I'm about to be 30 years old. Like, what am I going to do the rest of my life? You know, am I going to be popping beer bottles at the Elks Lodge when I'm in my 60s? You know, it just didn't seem like that was a future, you know. And I was up, I don't know if I was up late one night or how I got it, but there was a book um, that I purchased by a guy, um, I forget the guy's name, Russ, Russ Whitney was this dude's name, based out of somewhere in Florida, Coral Gables, Florida or something. And I read his book, and it was a bit dated, um, but it just, it made sense to me. Real estate just kind of made sense to me. I was like, this is something that, you know, I can see myself doing. I don't have a college education. Um, I was horrible in high school, you know, did not like it one bit. Um, math and PE, I mean, that's, you know, that's what I love to do. But everything else was, you know, just a waste of time, in my opinion. Um, so long story short, I purchased a book and was making some other changes in my life. And at the time, I was I met a gentleman uh, who and this is probably within like two weeks. Um, I met this guy and he worked for a real estate broker um, who specialized in bankruptcy properties. And we just kind of hit it off and became friends. And I told him, I said, yeah, you know, I think I want to buy a, a piece of real estate. Um, and we got to talk and it was probably a few months went by and he says, hey, I got this property. It's in Bakersfield, about an hour and a half away from where I was living in uh, Southern California. He says, but it's worth, I don't know, at the time it was worth maybe 110, 115. And he goes, we can pick it up for, you know, X amount, 82, I think it was. I'm like, Sounds great. And back then, you know, I no, you know, what is it? Uh, um, ninja loans? You yeah. Know, no, you know, no doc loans. Anything flew in those days. Right, right. So I got that property and um, worked on that. And another one came up from this guy and um, took money and, and flipped that property. And I was just like, you know, here we are as investors. We always think about, you know, oh, I'm going to save money. I'm going to list my own properties. You know, that's kind of the reason I wanted to get my license. And just through my friendship with this gentleman, um, I used to go on appointments with him. So with bankruptcy, his broker would get referred out um, uh, leads, I guess I would say. And so they would contact people that were either trying to do a, a, a Chapter 13 um, um, 
trying to save their homes and whatnot. And they have to get to the point where they can't do it. And they're like, hey, we just want to sell our home and whatnot. I would go on appointments with this guy, probably a hundred appointments or so, just learning the business. And I was knocking on doors on the weekends of people that had notice a default filed uh, against them. And Ooh, I love door knocking. That's <laughs> hardcore right there. <laughs> it is hardcore. Yeah. But that's how I was learning this business, you know? That's a great way to learn, too. It is a great way to learn because it's not – and we'll get into it, but I, I struggled as a retail agent because I did not like just being normal Joe Schmo. I love the nitty-gritty of a different style of a deal, you know? Um, so, yeah, I was learning the business with him, and then um, one day he says, hey, there's a there's a, a broker I know. He's looking for a guy like like me, he's speaking of himself, uh, to go on appointments for him. He markets to people that are facing foreclosure. I'm like, oh. And instantly I was like, not for me, because I knew my guy was making six figures, you know, um, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't deserve that and whatnot. You know, it's weird kind of how I'm thinking about it now. It's like yeah, that I, is lim- weird. I was limiting my my belief in myself, you know, because I never really made great money. You know, I mean, I was in my 20s at this point. I'm 30 years old. You know, you don't, I'm not really thinking that far ahead. Of, oh, I can make good money. I'd never really been around people that made good money. You know, it was six figure money. Um, and eventually I got over that. And I was like, you know what? Why not me? Why can't I go go make it? And so I called this broker and we we tried to, to meet up. He was out of town or then he was sick or then I was out of town. Anyway, we met up and he started sending me out on uh, on appointments. They would market to people that were facing foreclosure. They would call us up. We'd go in there. I would get the listing and then we'd postpone the foreclosure sale date so that we could sell the property because everyone waits to the last minute. You know yes. what I mean? Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then it's like, oh, my foreclosure's tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Um, so we'd have to go in there and postpone it. And it was, it was great learning, um, that side of the business because I really learned to listen, I think, to people that had problems, um, and help them out, you know? Um, and it was just, it felt good because I'm helping people that were, I mean, you know, you're sitting across from a family and they got three or four kids and the, you know, the husband and father is crying, saying, you know, he's feeling like a failure as as a man. And, you know, you sit there and you have an honest conversation with people like that. And that's the part of real estate that I fell in love with, um, as well as doing deals. You know, everyone likes a good deal, you know. So um, that's when then short sales came hot and heavy. And before we knew it, uh, my broker had a, a few accounts, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, a few others. Um, and then we were knee-deep in foreclosures. And I think summer of 2008, I think we averaged – Monthly, we had 72 assignments every month. And Holy shit. So it was me, my broker, and um, his cousin. Next thing you knew, we're getting all these properties. And so I'm running around all over L.A. County, Orange County, San Bernardino County, Riverside County, just doing you know occupancy checks and taking photos and rekeys and coordinating contractors and trash outs and Man, it was a great time. <laughs> you know? That's kind of like trial by fire, gladiator school for figuring out how to work with motivated sellers, though, right? I mean, you're essentially doing the whole damn thing, coming at the end, helping them, stalling it, getting it cleaned out. Then you go do the REO stuff. You're kind of seeing both sides of the whole machine there, too. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I loved it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, man, I loved it. I mean, it was, it was balls to the wall. Like, you know, you get up and, you know, you're, you're going the moment you get up, it's like, okay, I got six properties that I go look at today and I got to follow up on this and that. Oh, then you get an email. Oh, here's three more properties today. It was great because it was, and we had a great um, environment in our office. Um, 
just the chemistry with us was really, really good. Uh, my broker at the time was honestly an unbelievable mentor. He wasn't trying to mentor me, but the way I learned the business through him, he was such a perfectionist. And I mean, he dotted every I, crossed every T. And he really um, taught me a lot of things to just look at every single thing, you know, and he used to, he used to uh, motivate me in a weird way. He would say, oh, you got an appointment today. Huh, you'll blow it. Like no. that's what he would say to me, you know. That's hilarious. And I'd be like, you know what, screw you, man. I'm going to get this thing, yeah. you know, so. Um, that reminds me of the Navy. He was cheering up, don't fuck it up, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that was like, that's male, our generation of like male support. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was great, man. I, I honestly, I, I did love it. But, it, you know, there came a time where, where um, it got uh, to be a little bit too much. You know, you just, you get burnt out after doing it for, I don't know what it was, six years, seven years, something like that. But uh, I guess you asked me how I started. I kind of went on to a little rant like that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, uh, how I started, just going on appointments and learning the business and just sitting there like a fly on a wall, watching my buddy run these appointments with all these people that were uh, facing foreclosure. I love the way you learn too. I try and encourage more people to learn that way on the job training. Try and find somebody you can go work for or work with because this is like a trade. You could read books all you want and I do and you should, but you can learn this just like you can learn how to weld, learn how to be a carpenter. Like it's a trade like that. And I think I know it's embarrassing to say, but my, my two years with Steve and my five years with Joe and being a real estate agent, like I learned more working for people than I ever did on my own through trial and error and reading books. So 100%. Uh, you're, you're hundred percent right. I mean, when I use this analogy sometimes and it's kind of dumb, but I always say, you know, you can pick up a book, you can learn how to rebuild the carburetor, but until you get in there and pull it apart and rebuild it yourself, you don't really know. Carburetor is a great metaphor. That's, you know? it's so hard to rebuild a carburetor. And if you're not detail oriented, you'll mess it up. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, 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 why do I have these five parts left over? Son <laughs> right. of a, this is not I'll good. This box. <laughs> you know? I like it when they still work though. You're like, I guess I didn't need these right. ones. I don't, right. I don't even remember this part. <laughs> What's this little screw for? You're way more detail oriented <laughs> than I am. That's for sure. So, but you're right. I mean, you know, learning on the job. I mean, if you can partner with, and again, that's one of the things that I love with working with that broker is, you know, it wasn't all on me. He gave me a lot of responsibility and it was a lot of pressure. Um, but it was a great training ground, you know, and to anything that I've done after that, one, it gave me confidence. Two, I felt like I was knee deep in everything, you know, without swearing that was knee deep in everything you know and so to learn like that like you said kind of thrown to the fire it was it was a great experience and even now to this day when i you know uh, when i partner up with uh with anyone if we're going to do business I, I i try to align myself with people that know more than me which is most everybody but um have great character and then and then can just show a, a an ability to kind of show me what I want to learn. You know, you, I want to soak up like a sponge what I can learn from that person, you know, whether it be a Ron Wallraven or Todd Chun or um, the guys at Gabriel Management that are really successful or just guys we run around in circles with, you know, you just get a chance to talk with them and pick their brains and, you know, see what they know. And you're like, wow, my mind's just opened up by what this guy knows, you know. Well, I want to circle back to what you said, how you were kind of limiting yourself too, and you kind of had to talk yourself into the fact that you do deserve it. 
I did a Facebook post about this a couple of weeks. I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people say, I don't know, and they automatically go to, I can't, or I don't deserve, or some sort of thing like that. How did you talk yourself into believing in your in yourself? You said it took you a couple of weeks or it took you a little time. I think yeah. this is a very common experience for, for a lot of people. So if you can kind of elaborate, if you remember kind of how you walked yourself through the process, so maybe somebody else can kind of copy it too, you know? I think... You know, initially when I, when I just told myself, you know what, I don't deserve this. It was because I've always made whether, you know, 30 to 40 grand a year. That's what I make. You know what I mean? That's, that's my comfort zone. You know, what is it like to make 50, 60, 80, a hundred? I don't know what responsibilities come with that. I don't know, but I'm not that guy. I don't have the college education. I don't have any kind of formal training to say I go that I deserve to make that money. And ultimately I think it came down to just. One, I've always believed in myself. Something my mom uh, instilled in me really as, as a kid is just you can do anything you want to do. Um, and I believe that. Um, and I think just frustration too, you know, that damn it, here I am saying I want to change my life. I'm 29, 30 years old, knowing that wait, waiting tables and, and bartending isn't the end all be all for my life. What's the worst that happens if I go work for this guy? I fall flat on my face and I embarrass, and I embarrass myself. Big deal. He fires me. I go back to waiting tables and, and tending bar. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, the the risk far outweighed the or I shouldn't say the reward far outweighed the risk for me. You know, um, it's crazy. Now that I'm sitting here thinking about this as we're talking, it just it it makes me realize. You know what? I've since then. At that time, I've always been one now to sit. I shouldn't say always, but I probably pushed myself more to challenge myself to do the next best thing, to to raise another level, um, or or try something new. Um, probably because of that moment, you know, of stopping myself from limiting my own belief in myself. It's also amazing what can happen. I've had a few good bosses in my life. Good boss, good mentor, kind of the same thing, right? Because anybody could tell somebody what to do. Right. But to, to enjoy working with someone and learning from it, it's amazing what one good boss or mentor can do to your life. Because I had a great boss in Safeway, too, in the bakery. And this guy was just wasting away at $17 an hour. But like his leadership was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I go do this whole journey if I don't go through him and see what's possible too. So to your point, hanging around people who have a lot of big things going on, you see what's possible. It could absolutely change your life when you, when you take the time to do that and absolutely. hang out with these people. And even like you say, you're talking about this guy who made $17 an hour. They don't have to be some no. guy on a They're everywhere. On a right. Absolutely. You never know. You know. I look at a guy who comes to mind is, is Jesse Boyd. He probably doesn't know it but just his demeanor how he carries himself he's an unbelievable guy you know and i would watch him just how he would run meetings or talk to people just how he handled situations you know and i was just soaking it up you know just because you can learn from people you know if you allow yourself the ability to to be taught you know and to kind of humble yourself a little bit and say i don't know everything and what can i learn from this guy or that guy you know um there's so many people out there that have so much knowledge to give or just have, you know, um, a way about them that you can learn from. And if you're just closed minded or like a horse with blinders on, you just lose so much opportunity to grow as a person, you know, grow as an investor or whatever you're doing in your life. You know, you miss out on opportunities when you're not open. 
I think a lot of people don't think of it in the form of opportunities, right? They're like trying to like notch their belt or something like that. But I like how you said opportunities because really what you're trying to do is increase the number of opportunities you have and in life in general, not necessarily one particular field. And a great mentor kind of does that. They kind of expose you to more and varied opportunities too. And that's a powerful thing. Let's go back. So you're, you're what, eight years you did this run? For your REO, like running around saving people from bankruptcy and saving houses from foreclosure and selling stuff. And- I'm trying to think when I got my license in 05. Um, and I think I started, no, that's when I started working for the broker, like right right after I got my license. So I think we did short sales for like, I don't know, man, a year. and a half. I want to say end of 2006, we started getting some trickle in foreclosures. One here, one there. Maybe we're working 20 or 30 short sales, you know, or 10 short sales. Who knows what it was? And then we started getting REO Strickland. Then by 2007, I mean, we were, we were transitioning completely out of doing any kind of short sales because just the length of time they were taking. They were terrible, you know? man. There was a, you know, in, in 05, really 06, when the market, when we were seeing the market change, you know, it was, it was, it was easy because I'm looking at homes that are in a particular area. Let's just, you know, say their comps are 400,000, but I got three homes on the market at 370 for three months and they're not selling. So then I'm sitting down with a homeowner saying, and he's going, Oh, my home's worth 400 grand. I want 400 grand. I'm like, dude, your home's not worth 400 grand. Look, here's what's happening. These homes at 370 aren't selling. You need to be at 350, you know, and that's a hard pill for people to swallow. It's a tough pill, you know, because the market hadn't quite, it, it wasn't quite mainstream media yet. You know, oh my God, the housing market's crashing. But you could see, you could see the the cracks. You know, you could see um, just what was what was really going on. And then you'd get the homeowner on board. They sign the listing agreement with you, um, and mainly because I could dangle the carrot in front of them that hey, we can, we need to postpone your foreclosure. You know, I want fifty grand. Well, you're going to get twenty. But <laughs> would you rather get twenty or would you rather get nothing? You know, what are you going to do? Um, but then the, it was hard to get the banks on board too. When when initially the short sales are happening. First of all, they didn't really have short sale departments at that time. You know, you had to get on the phone and, and call around to find who an asset manager was. If it take you a week that. to find the right person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you get all the package in and then you follow up in a week and they go, uh, can you resend that package again? <laughs> you know, they did, they didn't know what they were doing. So it was, it was, they were hard cause they were taking anywhere from, 60 to 90 days. I mean, if you were good, you can get a short sale done in, in 30 to 45 if you were good. I did very few, and like that's pretty good numbers right there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's tough. Don't get me wrong. We had some that were, you know, nine months in. Yeah. You know, here we are. You I know? had so many around four to six months that when REOs came, I swore off short sales. Like, like no more drugs, no more. Like, I'm just not, <laughs> I got to clean up my life. I'm not right? sticking around the short sales stuff right? anymore. It tortured me. I don't have the skill set you have, though. Like, I'm a great sales guy and all that but you have like that attention the detail i would have done a lot better if i had like a kelly back then but being the guy i am trying to follow up on all these shorts it was like hell it was like hell it is like hell you know and i get where you're coming from and i have attention detail it's funny like in some areas of my life in some areas i'm there's no rhyme or reason you know it's just i i do whatever but um on certain things, yeah, especially when it comes to, to real estate for whatever. I don't know if it's because my old broker, Mike, instilled certain things in me. But, I mean, we would – because, you know, you screwed something up. You sent it over to the bank. That thing got kicked back on a short sale. Or if we were doing an REO, you know, and we're like 
you know, you had time frames. You had to get these occupancy checks in, and you had to get, you know, information right. They had very archaic, you know, online cities before Equator and all that stuff. You know, I mean, they had just it was tough. You know, it was kind of wild west of foreclosures. No one really had a system or anything in place. You know, but um, yeah, it was it was good times, man. I enjoyed it. I remember the REO was like the damn breaking. It's like, oh, there's just so many. It's so much easier. I was so grateful. The short sales prepped me to be so grateful for REOs. I'm like, really? I just submit the offer and we close it? Yeah. Yeah. We should do more like this. <laughs> what's great, what was great about REO, too, is we were in control of the property. You know, back then, I mean, so many agents were just treading water, you know, trying to keep their head afloat. Meanwhile, you know, we were listing agents' homes. You know, we were foreclosing on, on real estate agents that purchased, you know, a nice home, and now they have no income because they're not able to sell anything. But when you've got a property and you're getting 12 offers on it, you know, you're in control versus one of those 12 agents who's desperately trying to get a deal done. Man, that had to have sucked. It did. It's way better to be a listing agent, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's why I'm building my team. And my team members, I'm like, hey, man, buyers are now money and they're good. Sellers, that's how you leverage your business and that's yeah. how you build a bit. It's good to be in control. It's yeah. good to be bringing the meat to the market. Yeah, you know? I tried to be a buyer's agent for a short time and man, I hated it. It just wasn't, it wasn't me, you know. I was used to the, hey, here's reality. Here's how it is. This is what we got to do. Mentality versus a buyer coming in and they're going, um, I don't know. I know that, you know, it's been on the market one day and they're asking, you know, whatever the price, 350 but I'm going to offer 325 and I'm sitting there telling dude, there's six offers on it. It's going to go over asking price. Yeah, let's just try 325 And when they're not getting it, I'm just like, I don't want to waste my time. You know, yeah. I'd rather work with buyers that It takes that a special it, you know? personality. I hired three of them on my team. I kind of figured this out because I'm the same way. I'd rather like, no, thank you. I'm not going to go do all that very much more direct like you. But it's a personality type. Some people don't mind it. It's uh I'm not that person. Some people are great at it, man. Yes. They have the patience. They like putting people in the car, driving them around on weekends, getting a call at nine o'clock at night. Hey, this listing just popped up. Can we see it? Or you go to show my property and they go, oh, well, we happened to go to an open house last weekend and we wrote an offer on it. And what do you know? Huh? They accepted our offer and you've been showing them a house for six months. You're like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but that's the business. You that know, is when the you're buyer working business. With buyers, that's just kind of what you do. Yeah. You There's know? people who are good at like buyer judo. You're like, damn, you're really good. It's like watching <laughs> Ron close something. Same thing. You're like, There's yeah. that same buyer judo, but it definitely goes into personality type as well. So, so you said you started to get a little burned out when was that what yeah, year yeah so this was probably 2000 i want to say maybe i was in it for a minute still maybe like 2011 so we had been going hot and heavy with arios for probably a good four almost five years um like i said it was it was great i loved it um but it, it was very very stressful and i was noticing for myself personally that it was taking a toll on me i was getting very Short, very yeah. Um, uh, what sort of I'm looking for? I just, my temper was. I was quick to to you know to snap, and I just was you know laying in bed at night and not being able to go to to sleep for the first hour because I'm already thinking about man, I got to get up at six a.m. and at six o five I got to do this, and by six thirty I got to be doing this. It was just stressful, you know. Uh, money was great, but it was uh, and it was taking a toll on me. So that's when I started transitioning into. I told my broker one day, I said, look. I I can't do this, you know. Um, can we come, can we find someone else that'll come in here? Uh, I can train them, you know. Um, but I'll give you to the end of the year. And at that time, it was like September first, so ninety days to come in and train someone. And I'll just work the buyer leads that come in, 
funny. I, this is why I hate buyers. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't say hate buyers, but didn't like working with them because at the time no one was working our buyer calls. I mean, you, you'd call a few, but we're so busy, you know, and we were a small team. We were barely at the, at the point where we, we had at that time had a transaction coordinator. We had uh, a receptionist. We had hired a couple people at that time, but we hadn't grown yet um, um, to the full fledged team. So um, he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And my broker, God bless him. He waits until like 30 days before I said, Hey, I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, first guy he brought in just didn't work out. And, uh, it was a struggle for them to find a guy. Um, so I was always still kind of, kind of helping out, um, time to time. But yeah, it just was, it was hard, um, on, on me personally. So I kind of started looking at, um, uh, other opportunities. You know, I, I knew I loved real estate. I had fallen in love with it. So, um, you know, I, looked at doing mortgage notes. So I was kind of dabbling in, in notes and I had found a guy out of San Francisco that was kind of teaching how to do notes and he would also sell. Um, he was buying big bulks, big, big packages from uh, a couple big banks. And yeah, I went to a conference in, in Colorado and met a guy in, uh, who lived in LA as well. We hit it off and he was buying out here in Michigan. And, um, I, so I'd known him for a couple of years out there and I would help him, you know, comp out deals and whatnot, stuff that he was looking at just to kind of, you know, be a friend. And you know how it is. I call you, Hey man, Jeremy, I'm looking at this house. What yep. do you think it's worth? What can I, you know, what can it sell for? You know, after it's fixed up, you know, that kind of thing. So you, you were me back then. Kind of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Probably a saner version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was in, it was a transition period because like I said, I really did not like being a buyer's agent. Um, REOs were slowing down to the point where our assignments were like 30 a month. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of interesting. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So the time I was getting burnt out is when we were getting 70 a month, you know, and I was running to a, team of guys i had three guys driving all over southern california checking on stuff for me and then you know dealing with rekeys and trash outs and you know all this stuff and um yeah it's just i was looking for something else within real estate and when i came across notes i was just like oh like a green light went off wow you can buy for x i mean they're selling these things for pennies on the dollar, you know, what's the worst case? I foreclose on it, take the house back, fix it up and flip it. Okay. For people listening, the banks kind of did it in a way. First it started as short sales, then it went to REOs, but there were so many REOs on the market. I think somebody stepped in and said, hold on. We can't just keep dumping thousands of REOs on the market. And for a couple of years, what they did was sell them all as notes without foreclosing many of them off market, off the books to people who had millions of dollars and would submit bids on them. That's what he's talking about. So he got involved in that. What was it about the, because going from the agent side, right? You kind of started as the investor and then you went hardcore on the agent side, right? What was it about the note aspect that made it appealing to you? Like you just want to get in on the investor side or like, yeah, I, I, I think it kind of, you know, even when I was working as an agent doing short sales, um, I wasn't necessarily processing the short sales. The guy in our office was, I was primarily going on the appointments and, and locking up the deal, locking the listing up the closer. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That I love. So I didn't, I guess I didn't look at it like I was an agent. If that sounds weird. Cause I wasn't like marketing the property. I didn't have my face on business cards, nothing like that, you know? So I always kind of had this, Hey, 
this is reality, Mr. Seller. You know, it was always, I guess I still kind of looked at, looked at it as, I don't want to say as investor, but just, I don't know, just a different angle within real estate. I surely didn't look at myself like I'm a licensed agent. You know, if that makes sense. I don't think of myself as an agent either. I just had to get a license to do this part of real estate yeah, too. And that's yeah. kind of how I started. I'd get my license and, and cause I wanted to sell my own deals and it just kind of, I kind of fell into working with this broker. You know, I didn't intend to be an agent. I fully intended when I got into real estate to be an investor um, because I wanted to, you know, again, with no college education and, you know, waiting tables and, and bartending, I had no future in my mind. You know, um, there was no retirement plan for me. I didn't have a 401k or any kind of pension. You know, I didn't have any of that. So I knew that, hey, I need to invest. I need to get cash flow to uh, be able to survive when, I, when I'm older. The whole real estate thing as far as um, even with the REOs and the short sales, it was a deterrent in a way. It sidetracked me from what I really wanted to do. And I kind of fell into it, but I fell in love with it at the same time. So I think going, switching from um, REOs to working with buyers, realizing I did not like working with buyers to kind of looking for something and finding notes um, was just an evolution of, I still want to be an investor. And I think part of it too is at the time when I was kind of transitioning, trying to find what I wanted to do, and this is while I was working as a buyer's agent, and trust me, I was, I did not give it hundred percent as a buyer's agent. It was just like, I did it, you know, because I could make money, you know, uh, we controlled the listings and I had buyers calling, I want to pay cash over asking, oh, I'll write an offer. <laughs> you know, why not? You know, wave inspection. You were speaking my love language right. now. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell people, Hey, here's what you're going to have to do. I mean, you couldn't tell them what other offers were, but you can say, here's how you're going to to be a strong offer. Here's what you got to do. You know, this is what I would do. And oftentimes banks would, would take um, offers because of terms, not necessarily on price. Yeah. You know, they need to close this thing out. And you're coming in with a $10,000 non-refundable EMD. I did that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. In absolutely. Detroit, I would make the purchase price and the EMD the same and waive inspection. Yeah. You'd be surprised back in REO days. They'd be like, really? Close in 10 days. Okay. Right. Deal done. Right. That's Boom. a strong offer, yep. you know, versus the guy who's 25 grand higher, but he's FHA, you know, needing a 203K rehab loan. Oh, God. Yeah. No, thanks. You know, and he's asking 6% closing costs. You know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a no brainer, you know, for most banks. Some banks had to follow certain rules, but, um, so yeah, it was just kind of a natural thing. Again, looking to, from an investment standpoint, I had a little cash, um, built up and I looked at notes as, man, I can really pick up, a, you know, these for, for pretty cheap and either A, rent them out or B, sell them. And what I wanted to do was resell them if they were vacant, grow the capital to keep doing it, you know? So that's kind of how we started into that. Um, and that was fun. It's, uh, it's like anything, you know, finding good people is hard, you know? So you're buying notes in Texas or, Cleveland or not Cleveland, but Ohio or Connecticut. And, you know, you're, you're trying to find people that, Hey, I need a BPO. I'm trying to determine the value and they're giving you some crazy, you know, number. And then you try to sell it and you go, okay, that's not at all anywhere near where you said, you know, but it was a great learning experience at the same time. But, uh, that's kind of ballsy just buying in different cities all over then calling around trying to find somebody good. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of a ballsy move, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like anything, right? You, you, you got to do what you got to do. 
Well, I know how hard it was because I started investing here from Pullman, Washington. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I spent hours on the phone trying to find good people. Yeah. And, I just, and that was just one city. Mm-hmm. One stinking city. I can only imagine trying to buy notes all over and then trying to do the same thing everywhere I'm calling, trying to find somebody decent. That's a little little challenging. I think one thing that helped me is because I saw the REO side, and I think this is why it was easy for me to say, I can do notes. Because essentially, I was working, we were working for asset managers. And when you're buying a note, all you're doing is becoming an asset manager. Yeah. So I knew, okay, here's the process. Good point. Occupancy check, rekey, trash out, you know, EMD, what do I need to do paint and carpet? You know, it wasn't that big of a challenge because I knew, I, I knew it. I, that, I was becoming what our client was, you know, that I was working for essentially. Um, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't too hard. Certainly it's a challenge when you can't enter a property, you know, and you don't know what the inside condition is, you know, you could try to get, you try to, again, try to find people that, Hey, can you peek in the window? Can you? Is it unlocked? You know, I've done that inside? a lot too. You yeah. Can you mind swinging by? I'll take a look. Is there somebody there in the house? No, it doesn't look like anybody's right. there. You walk up, look in the window. Oh, all their furniture is still there. I don't know what that means, but there's two cars parked too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it, it was, it was cool. I, I, uh, I liked it and it was more of less, you know, I, I dabbled in it. It wasn't anything that I really jumped into and said, this is what I'm going to do full time until, um, my buddy, my buddy, um, that I had met at that conference out in Colorado um, and become friends with in LA, he had been buying out here for like three or four years um, all over Michigan, Grand Rapids area, Bay city, um, Detroit, Pontiac. Um, and uh, yeah, he had approached me and was like, Hey, you should come to Michigan. And I was like, what? I want to go to Michigan. I was going to say, it was like, you leave you to the land of milk and honey and sun <laughs> for Michigan. Like, yeah, it was. What uh, was the sales pitch? It must have been fucking good. It was a good. It had to be a good sales pitch to get he, you to leave. He had to do some convincing. There's no question. But at the same time, I mean, I was at a point where, again, I was looking for something. You know, I knew that being a buyer's agent wasn't what I wanted to do. Oh, I was talking earlier. Um, one of the reasons I kind of was looking was I had a I had hired a coach um, back then, and one of the things he had said was. You know, what's the reason you got into real estate? And I had to think about that. I was like, yeah, that's a good question. I got into real estate and I was like, well, to be an investor, you know, it was like an epiphany. Oh, yeah. I didn't get into this business to be a realtor. What the hell have I been doing for the last seven years? <laughs> you know, that's a long detour. Yeah it, yeah, it it was, it was. And I was like, wow, like I really got off track of what I wanted to do. So it kind of brought me back on center. Um, and it just happened to be, and you know, the world is funny like this, man, but it just happened to be within a short time, my buddy Sam, um, who uh, was buying notes out here said, Hey, you know, I'm trying to grow my company out there. You should, you should move to Michigan. You went, you're crazy. What do you go to Michigan for? I'm in sunny Southern California. I own my house here. You know, I got fish tacos. I, like, what more do you want from me, man? I'm <laughs> right, not moving. Right, right. I got good Mexican food out here. <laughs> you know? Really good Mexican <laughs> right? food. Yeah. I remember. Oh. Right. I remember. Those are the good old days, right? 
Well, I was stationed in the Navy in, in San Diego at a point, Loma. So it took, I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit, it took me a year to try fish tacos because mm-hmm. the idea did not appeal to me. But once I did, I was all in. I was like, never mind. I was wrong. You're right. <laughs> How many of these things can I eat? Oh, you have lobster tacos too? Right. Let's do this shit. Yeah. yeah. No, it was very cool. And like, the best place is a little hole in the wall spots that just, you're like, is that even going to pass health code? <laughs> I try not to think <laughs> you know? about that. You know? <laughs> when you go in the bathroom and they got all the oil and rice stacked, and they're like, I didn't see that. I, I don't need to see that. That's not that's not important. They're cooking it. You know? <laughs> Aren't they? <laughs> My favorite is when I go to Tijuana and you go do the three tacos for a dollar and you oh, see yeah. them pick up a plate off a table, wipe it off, then they put new stuff on it, bring it to you, and you eat it anyway. <laughs> I got a good story for you. I went to Ensenada one time with a couple of guys I was working with at the time. And uh, we got there. Oh, we got to go down and get the, the ceviche. I mean, we're Ensenada's like right on the water. So we go down as soon as we get there, and there's a guy with a cart, right? And he's got plastic cups, and he's filling it up with ceviche. And he's talking to me, and I'm, I'm eating it, and I bite on something hard. I'm like, what the heck? I spit it out. It's a pearl. And the guy is like, oh, hey, man, you got you know, you know, should pay me more now. You got a pearl. And I'm still chewing, and I put my finger up to tell him, hold on a second. Spit out a second pearl. I had two pearls in this cup of ceviche. The guy was going nuts because oh, I got pearls I've never seen before. It was it was pretty cool. So yeah, that was my that's my Ensenada story. Yeah. It seems a little shaky eating ceviche out of a, a cart on the side of the road out yeah, of a plastic yeah. cup. A lot of things are shaky in Mexico. That's right. I, I ate the Mexican mayonnaise too. There was no refrigeration, but I did it anyway, and somehow I lived. Uh, I'll never I'll never understand how I made it through that part. But right when you're drunk and messed up, man, it's so good. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you shouldn't eat that, man. There's no refrigeration I'm like don't stop telling me what to do <laughs> i'm 12 beers in now i'm doing this my wife because you know, i ate leftovers my wife has is it has a thing for leftovers she's not she's like if it's been in the refrigerator more than 24 hours she doesn't want to eat it gina's the same way really yeah See, yeah and i'm like oh it's been in there six days it's still good and i'll eat it and she's like you don't get sick. I'm not. I've been, no. it's, it's fine. The food's fine. You that's, know? that's the point of refrigeration. Right. Yeah. You used to leave it out on the counter and then die. You know, that, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> you give it to the dog. Right. You know, they get right. sick. But yeah, no. Now, I think if you eat that shit too, you do a little better with it. And I just kind of, I, I grew up, grew up poor that way. So how do you talk you into getting into Michigan? So again, I was, I was just kind of looking for the next thing. Right. And, and at first it was no. And then, We'd, we'd meet for lunch or something. He's a very good salesman, by the way. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, let's go grab some lunch. It's on me, you know? And we'd go have lunch and he'd be like, yeah, so, you know, I bought, just bought these, you know, 20 notes out there. And long story short, he would, we would start to meet and he would just kind of show me his business plan. And I had a gazillion questions, you know, hey, what, you know, what if you can't buy as many notes as you want? What if this program you're trying to put the homeowner's through doesn't work? You know, I was looking for all the negatives. Um, and it still looked pretty darn good. And I was looking at it going, wow, like I'm looking for something that I can get into um, from the real estate investment side. And even if we do a quarter of what this guy's saying, it's still pretty good. And there was built-in cash flow because I, ideally we wanted to get people to reperform. Yes. You know, and if they didn't, okay, well, do you want to pay rent? If not, okay, then you got to go and take the houses back. Um, so then I finally said, you know what? Again, here we come, right? Like what's the worst that happens? I hate it. It doesn't work out. I move back. My house is only worth a third what I paid for it in California at this time <laughs> in the market anyway. You know, I paid four ten. I think it was worth one seventy at the time. I'm like, just a black know. hole of money. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'll just you know, who cares? I'll put it up for you know, see if I can short sell it and and move to to Michigan. So 
I came out, I think it was like February, early, early to mid February, like February 13th or 12th or something like that. And, and, uh, we were here for a couple of days and then he left and I was on my own, didn't know a soul here in Michigan. And, um, we had a package of notes and at the time and I would drive to the people's homes and knock on doors and try to, that's it. Pay up. That's it. I could be super friendly. <laughs> yeah. Or say, Hey, here we are. We're here to help. You know, what is it that you, you know, are looking to do? And some people are like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my, my note is, you know, I owe 90 on it and the thing's worth 35, you know? Okay. Well, we can cut that down to 50, you know, if you can make some sort of a payment arrangement. You would think people would want to do that. But what I found is people didn't want to do that. They did not. You know, and I think it was, I mean, the home values fell so far. That was, that, that was something that I had not, ever fathomed was how can a home be worth $10,000? You know, how is that possible? And you'd go knock on these doors and you're trying to get these people to say, yeah, you owe 90. We'll cut it to 50. Oh, by the way, homes were 10. They were saying, come take it. You know, they had made a payment in two or three years. Some of these people have been living good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you're saying, Hey, we want to work something out with you. They're saying we don't want to work anything out. So that was my challenge. Cause then I was realizing, okay, well, I can't threaten with foreclosure because that's right at the end of the day, that's what you do. Okay. Well, if you're not going to make payments, you either got to move out or I'm for, I have to foreclose on the note to take it back. So that now I have the property and can fix it up and either rent it or resell it. The values were so low. It didn't make sense. You know, I'm sitting there saying, how do you know you, and I was telling them, you've got to buy homes that at least have a $50,000 value so that we can take these things back and sell and make a profit. And it just became a challenge. And, and the notes were, the pricing of those were starting to go up a little bit. Um, and we were able to work some out. Some we weren't able to work out. We foreclosed on some, resold them. It's kind of a mixed bag. It never really worked out like either one of us had expected it to, you know. Um, but Worked out great for the banks. They got to off a lot of property, not listed on the MLS, not take all the heat for oh, yeah. shit canning the market. And yeah, well, and that was the big thing, right? Because of the foreclosure crisis, it was like, oh, well, we can't have Fannie and Freddie foreclosure on all these properties. So they would say, okay, well, we won't foreclose. We're going to sell this yep. pool, and then you guys can foreclose. You're the bad guy. It's not us doing it anymore. Right. It's off our bucks. Our numbers are looking good now that 100%. we mention it. <laughs> right, right. Everything's turned around. Look Absolutely. at this. We sold all this shit. Yeah. And we were buying stuff. My partner was buying stuff for, I mean, just pennies on the dollar. You know, it's just ridiculous what you can pick stuff up for. Hindsight's always twenty twenty again, as I use that term. But, you know, I had wished that I was in Michigan in like 2000. To see the run up here and then to see it fall as hard as it did. Cause if I had known what values would come back to here, oh, I would have gobbled up so much stuff. And I would have talked to every investor I knew that had money and say, let's, let's buy as much stuff as we can. Cause there was homes. I mean, I remember Hazel Park was 20, 25,000 yeah. pretty routinely. Yeah. Ferndale too. Yeah. I don't see. I, Ferndale, I was buying, I remember my first Ferndale property I bought was Steve, Steve Lundow. I think I paid thirty five for it. So crazy to think about now. <laughs> so yeah. crazy. Yeah. East Point twenty five. Yeah. Harper Woods thirty thirty five. Yeah. Brick Ranch on the east side you can get for thirty grand. Yep. And like rent it out for eight fifty to a thousand dollars a month. Like it was just and people are like oh the values will never come back. It took me till last year to make as much money as I made in two thousand eight because everybody was so scared. Yeah. I want to circle back to your point though because you put your finger right on it. Like when you're trying to work out these notes, everybody was terrified. Mm -hmm. 
Like it never, and it hadn't crossed my mind. I got my dick kicked in fast, lost all my money the first time when it crashed in 2007. But you're right. Nobody had considered that a hundred thousand dollar house wouldn't be worth $10,000. Right. And I think that really put a lot of fear in people to take any sort of action until they saw it start turning around, which is like 12, 13. Right. That was four or five years where nobody was, you know, they were like, nah, they're betting against everything. Like, that's never going to turn around. But obviously, these things don't last. But that fear was, like, very real to people. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. It was it was fear. I need to hoard my cash. I need yeah. to stay in this house as long as I can. Let's write out this redemption period to the very end. Now you got to give me cash for keys. Yep. We never, like, people were terrified, you know? They, like, yeah. locked everything down. But on the flip side... There's thousands of houses that I walked and wrote. Thousands of offers that got great. And like, so the other side, through all that human misery and fear, was amazing opportunities yeah. too. It was very challenging back then. They stole everything, but it was right. It was the wild, wild west days. You you weren't wrong to to want to be here and be a part of it. It was pretty fucking awesome too, in a certain as a point of view. It's it's interesting. Like you know, you're talking about walking through these homes and how people got great deals. I mean. Perception is reality, you know? If I'm losing my shorts, there's some other guy on the other end who's, who's you know, rubbing his hands together because he's making a killing. You know, you just have to be on the right side, you know, at the time. Like, you know, yeah, what, what do they say? Um, when there's blood in the streets, that, yeah, that's the time buy. to buy, you know? Um, when everyone's selling, you buy. When, when everyone's buying, you sell. You know, you have to be able to kind of be ahead of, of what's happening, be able to look at things from a macro level versus just horse with blinders, what's going on in my little city kind of thing. So you can kind of, keep that's an eye great on advice. I did not do that the first time. No one did. Yeah. Cause no one knew, right. No one thought that it could crash the way that it did. You know, housing had been going up since the eighties besides a small blip here and there. And all of a sudden, boom, there's no financing anywhere. The only people that made a killing had cash. And if you had cash, you did very, very well. I didn't from 2009 until I became an agent in 2016. All I did were cash deals, yeah. period. Yeah. Think about that, folks. Every single deal was cash. Appraisals weren't getting hit. People were afraid to write mortgages. Banks were afraid to lend money. Like, everything was cash. It was crazy. And then I became an agent, and I'm like, oh, okay. I guess loans work now. It's 2016. Loans work for a couple of years, but I was a wholesaler. So I was just cash, 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 cash. It's crazy to me when I'm thinking about that because I remember what in 15, um, we were kind of wrapping up notes and I was like, well, it's either time to go back to California or stay here. Um, and I fell in love with Michigan, um, was dating my now wife, which is the reason I said, hey, I want to stay here and this is going really well. I want to see how it goes. Um and started getting into flipping. And this was like summer of 2015. And I remember going back to California, showing an investor, hey, here's some deals we can buy. Here's what they're worth. Coming back here and all of a sudden prices started taking off. But it wasn't just here. Like prices started taking off across the country. Everywhere. That's yeah. always mind-blowing to me. Like how is all of a sudden like a secret get out and, and every home buyer all of a sudden starts buying homes? You know, it, I again, that's macro level that I don't even understand, you know. But you just you just wonder like what – what happens that causes that, you know? Like, it's one thing to say, hey, there's a bunch of jobs now in Detroit. Detroit's doing well. Okay. But what about nationwide? You know? I mean, everyone was buying. Prices went up 
everywhere. Now, certainly certain markets did better than others, but I've always kind of been fascinated by that. Like what causes? There's so much that happens, I think, that we have no idea about, you know, um, behind the scenes. But yeah, it's... I think some of it's just in the zeitgeist too, right? People yeah. were terrified. And then how long can you be terrified? Then yeah. you have kids. Then you... Oh, somehow I got a promotion. I haven't gone bankrupt yet. I still have my... Oh, now it's been four years. Now I could actually buy a house again. Well, maybe we should consider buying a, like, I think there's some of that in there. Sure. I yeah. agree. I agree with you. Some of that, but it's like, does that spread like a, I don't say like a virus, but does it spread it like wildfire so yeah. darn fast? You know, I think, well, I think it takes Fine. time, but yeah. then everybody, I think a lot of it has to do with the news too. Cause I remember the sure, news sure. back then started getting more positive too. Yeah. It used to be just be the doom show all the time. I used yeah. to mock it. Like, all right, we're all going to die today. Oh, we woke up again this morning. Somehow we're all still here. <laughs> right. right. It was terrible for years. People were just yeah. talking it down. Oh, whatever. We're just going to be a black hole in the ground. People joke, uh, uh, last person off, turn the lights off. You know, mm-hmm. like Detroit's not, these cities aren't going anywhere. Yeah. You know, humans are so short sighted, I think, that way. It's been cool to see just, that's one of the things I love about Michigan. And I mean, it's someone asked me one time, what's it like? I'm like, thought about us. It. It's gritty. It's a gritty town. You know, it's very, there's survivors here. You know what I mean? Like you get out there and you, you make it happen for yourself. You know, um, you I, you see the, the comeback in Detroit besides Dan, Dan Gilbert. Like you just see things changing. You see neighborhoods change, you know, um, people walk down the street. They look you in the eye. They, they just acknowledge you, you know, so it's so different than, um, in California, but yeah, I, I love seeing what's happening in Michigan and, and just seeing the entrepreneurial ship with, with just people starting businesses and, and wanting to take control into the, you know, their, their destiny in their own hands. Kind of thing. It's really, really cool to see. Yeah. It's a very different culture than California yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. There's parts of the California culture I did really like, but overall I'm with you. The Midwest culture for the most part, I fell in love with too. It's very open. It's very direct. It's very friendly in comparison to the the West Coast or the East Coast where yeah. it's more confrontational. Yeah. You know, here, uh, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of confrontational people here sitting across from one of them. But like <laughs> most people, you're right. They will they will wave at you. They will yeah. say hi. They will talk. Like it's just, I don't know. I think it is a little different here in the Midwest. Yeah. So. I love it. I love it. It's like you said, it's, it is very different. It's funny. After living here, my wife and I, we weren't married yet at the time, but. Her girlfriend was getting married down in in uh, San Diego, um, um, and we were walking down the street, and I was used to saying hi because everyone out here was saying hi, you know. And we counted; it was <laughs> eighty people I said hi to. I think we may have had three or four actually That's say hilarious. hi back to us. Yeah. It's crazy, you know. But here, you're in line at the bank, and one time an old lady was like, "Oh, what kind of pants are you wearing? Those look great on my grandson." You know, people just talk to you in the elevator. "Hey, how you doing? Good. Yeah, cold out there." You know, you just they strike up conversation with you. Whereas California, you know, you walk down a, a sidewalk and it's only three feet wide, you know, that person finds a reason to look down and not make eye contact with you or in an elevator. No one says boo, you know, to you. It's, yeah, I wonder it's why very, that is. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's very different. You know, here you can talk to a stranger and it's not taken as weird or what's this guy's angle? Why are you talking to me? You know, and I think in um, with my experience anyway, I think on the West Coast, there's a little bit of that. It's like if some guy just starts talking to you, it's almost like there's something wrong why? with you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. What do you want? What's the game here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of sucks. Very skeptical. You know? Because yeah. you realize, man, like. 
I could have been more open my whole life and talking to people, you know, but you kind of, you grow up not, you know, not so much. So, I mean, I, I, I love it out here. I, the winters are brutal. I certainly miss the beach and the weather. But, uh, yeah, I love being out here. And the fish really tacos. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Make them. I miss the Mexican yeah. food, for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the labor, frankly. I keep, uh, yeah, like, you, you don't get me wrong. I'm sure everybody has labor problems everywhere you go, right? But Southern California, labor is not generally a problem you have, right. where in Michigan it's a constant problem. Yeah. So. So it was a lady friend who kept you in Michigan. We got to snag yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. Thanks for snagging him. We like him too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she yeah, she kept me here. I shouldn't say she kept me here. She's the reason that I wanted to be here. Mm. You know, which is awesome. So now we'll be married, I guess, coming up on two years. Yeah. Well, side question. How did you meet her? Just purely out of curiosity. Has you know, I was hanging anything, out but... with a couple friends and next thing I know, there was this little firecracker, a five foot nothing. You know, brunette sitting there, you know, with this big smile on her face and all this personality, um, chatting. And, um, I just, I, I like that. You know, I like someone that's got some personality and we, uh, we hit it off instantly. And, um, within two weeks, and she was living in like Farmington Hills or something. And like two weeks later, she had moved to Birmingham. And I always kid because when she, the day she moved to Birmingham, I went over to help her out and, um, I'm like, I, I was like the lost puppy that you gave a little food to and you never left. You know, <laughs> we've been, you know, together and inseparable ever since, you know, so. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 I got real lucky. Well, how did you, so you, you find the girl, the notes don't work out the way you necessarily want them to work out. And now you're in Michigan and you got to do something, right? You got to get a job. You got to start investing. You got to. So how did your, your, and we were like 2015, 2016 Yeah, this now? is, I want to say like summer of 15. Yeah. Yeah. How, how'd you move forward? Obviously I know, but. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of crazy. It was like, it's like a theme that's like playing out here. But again, I was like, okay, if I'm going to stay here, I got to do something. Well, there's opportunity here to flip houses. Why don't I start flipping houses? You know, I didn't know anybody, didn't have any capital. Went to California. I'm like, well, I know it's my old broker. And said, Hey, here, there's some deals out here. You know, we can start doing this. So we did a few deals together and I started going to some meetups. You know, I think yours is probably the first one I went to. Was that in Corktown? Is that the first one you no, went to? Or you was were, that? Because you were only in Corktown for a short time. We were, we were at, was it Silas and Silas? Yeah. Silas yeah, and, and Berkeley, Berkeley, which is yeah. now a Green Lantern pizza, I think they turned it into. But I'm not too surprised. Yeah. I was hoping for a better restaurant. <laughs> Come on, another pizza place. You know, like Berkeley is dying for, you know, some good. Imagine good my disappointment living in Detroit. I see new commercial going up all the time. I'm like, great. You know what we're going to get? We're going to get cricket, fried chicken, pizza, Chinese, and a shoe store. <laughs> Or like we need to fuck another one or a PCS Metro. Yeah, right. I feel your pain there. Yeah, yeah but um, oh well, what are you going to do? Corporate America has a chokehold on that shit. You know? <laughs> yeah, Just, they do. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's like this is what we're getting. I don't yeah. even slow down now. I got to go drive out to Buck Buck Egypt yep. to try and get shit. So, yeah, so I um, was going to your meetup and um, um, just kind of looking to, to connect, you know, to network with people who's lending money. You know, I wanted to do, wanted to do more deals and, uh, met a guy and we were talking and I said, what are you looking for? You know, what kind of deals do you finance? He told me what he was looking for. I went out and I found that. <laughs> okay. This is what you're looking for. Let me go find that. And we, we did a handful of deals together. And then I met another gentleman, um, Jesse, 
um, who was looking for someone to come in and, and he kind of wanted to partner up with. And I guess this is when he and this might have been he and Ron's first deal together. Jesse and I partnered up and went 50 50 on a deal. And, and, uh, and what was it? Not St. Clair Shore, somewhere on the, on the, on the east side. And we started a partnership. Jesse just started, you know, financing all my deals. Um, I started fixing and flipping properties and, you know, trying to make a go at it. And it was tough. Fixing and flipping is not an easy thing to do because you're always, you know, a deal might take you three, four months to get done by the time, you know, 30 day rehab. You market it for 30 days. You get a buyer. It takes 30 or 45 days. Meanwhile, you got all this cash laid out. So when you finally close, you're like, oh, great. I just made 30 grand. Oh, no, I didn't because I got to put 20 grand here. Five goes for my bills and another, you know, 5,000 for a down payment on the next property, you know. But I loved it. I love flipping houses, especially if you have a good crew. You can come in and do some fun things. I don't like just doing paint and carpet, get in and out. I like to come into a house and say, ooh, man, we can open that wall up. That'll connect the kitchen to the living room, or let's do a bump out here. You know, like I watch some of the stuff that Tommy Wooderson does, and it's just like, man. Yeah, he does some he amazing does some cool shit. stuff, you know. It's like, man, I, you know, part of it sometimes wishes that I was doing stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it, uh, you know, I, I loved it. It's challenging. It's tough. Like we talked about the labor. The labor is one of the hardest things. You know, you end up become more of a glorified babysitter when you're flipping houses than anything else. In Michigan, that is so true. I talk to people all the time. I want to buy, I want to fix and rent. And I'm like, okay, where's the problem in my plan? And the first thing I always say, if you're not addressing labor every day, it is seriously one of the hardest things yeah. right there is dealing with the labor on these flips. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I don't flip anymore. I used to gra- I grab my teeth down at night. Like <laughs> I right. had so many deals. Like I was going insane yeah. with labor problems, and even the three crews I had left at the end, when it all fell apart, that I thought were my most loyal, and all, all three of them stole from me at the end on the way oh, out too. So man. I was like, "Fuck!" Man. It's like, man, the labor issues here. And then watching you guys—that's why I joke. I kind of half joke around. I call it hero money. But it's not much of a joke. <laughs> By the time you get to the end of the flip, you hate life. You hate everything about it. And you're so glad. And hopefully you did everything right. And you were rewarded justly. Right. And and sometimes you're not. You're like, yeah. oh, I just got 10 grand. Uh, I should have just fucking wholesaled it. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you look at it, three or four months for me to make 20 or 25 grand, yeah. I could have taken three or four weeks and made 10. Yep. You know? That's why I tell people to shoot for 40. Like if, yeah. if you're not shooting for, uh, if it's under 200 grand, you should be shooting for 40 because 40 could be 35 and 35 could be 25. If you make a mistake or you miss something on your inspection. Yeah. And it's, Especially in the market like this where, you know, things can be volatile. I mean, it's, what was it? End of 2018, we had a, a market correction because rates were going up and I saw 15% decline in values on a $200,000 house. That's not much. Now it's sold for one seventy five or one eighty, okay. But if I was relying on that twenty grand as part of my profit, and now bye bye. I made five. Yep. You know, I mean, it's certainly uh, can be can be challenging for sure. I mean, it's one of those things. Again, what are you going to do? You know, you you try to buy right. I'd love to be able to say I could get forty grand out of each deal on under two hundred grand. You well, know, that's what you hard. shoot for. That's yeah, what you shoot yeah. for. It almost never ends up being that well, way, which is why you shoot for the damn 40 grand. Yeah. Cause if you don't, you're not going to make 30 grand. You're going to make 15, you right. know? And then 15 and 16 and even 17, you know, you could hit those numbers cause you didn't have all the comp, you know, I don't know if it's all the competition, but people were still selling at a, there wasn't you know, all the competition, real, you know, realistic prices. Nowadays, even wholesalers are asking 80, 
cents on the dollar. You're like, how does that even make sense? Sell them all the time too. That's the sad part. There's a lot. <laughs> right? I see people posting in the Metro group and they're like 18 grand. Great deal for me. I'm just looking like one thing goes wrong. Yeah. One thing goes wrong. Don't get me wrong. Do your deal. It's your money. But just try and keep, th- if you've never done it before, things go wrong all the time. Oh, yeah. Flipping all the time. Yeah. The stuff you mess appraisals come in short like the one we did fuck it's the only time i ever challenged an appraisal and have it come back lower you know so sometimes you remember that one we did over i think that one was in east point that uh was it st Clair shores that big brick ranch we did i don't know if you remember that one i don't i'm surprised i had to you're the only person i had to call i'm like oh yeah we challenged the appraisal and by the way it's lower now oh yeah that was on Steve. yeah 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 it was so east we didn't point. see that yeah. coming now yeah. we we did know we were pushing it a yeah, little yeah, yeah. bit but um that still. was one of my better deals yeah. because it had so i mean that i put i think 15 grand into the foundation we had we had to rebuild that whole not the whole foundation but that's again a great learning experience you know opportunity i was down there Asking the guys questions. Why are we doing this? Why do you do that? What does this do? You know, um, knowledge is power, man. You know, and to be able to ask guys questions like that, it just it gives you more information. You go into the next deal. Oh, a foundation problem? No big deal. Know how to handle that. Roughly know what it's going to cost me. You know, those are the sweet deals. Now, if you can find a deal, it's like, hey, I know how to deal with fire, fire damage. Okay. You know, you can get good deals on that stuff. Foundation issues, good deals on that stuff. But it's hard. It's hard right now to find, you know, you know, to find good deals where the numbers make sense. And I even over the last year, I've probably seen more deals come back on the market where you can see a rehabber started it and then ran out of money. Yep. Stop. We're going to see more of that yeah, this I'm year. Like, okay, here yep, we go. It's coming. Yeah. I saw that coming in Bagley last year. It's, mm-hmm. it's a place in Detroit, if you're not familiar people, where it blew up real hot and everybody started putting lipstick on a pig and then shooting for the top. And then to your point, inventory went up. And I think we're going to see even more of those people holding bags this year because now we have even more inventory. That's a good thing about prices going up is it brings additional inventory mm-hmm. to the market that didn't make sense before that now makes sense. And now you got to fight that competition with your lipstick pig rehab. Yeah. You know? yeah. That could be brutal too. You yeah. know, and, I, and we're going to see more of that here. Yeah. It's a good 2020. There's a lot of it out there. Like That's why you don't do skinny deals, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like you said, when people are paying ridiculous. It's just numbers don't make sense, you know? They really don't. But, you know, you watch HG, HGTV and you think, oh, I'm going to flip a house, you know? How hard could it be? Look at all the profit I they make. I love that. How know? hard could it be? They're not showing you, here's your holding cost. You're bankrupt, divorced. It's, it's destroyed as a human being. Faith and man lost. I said it would be fun. It's not fun. What happened? Did you get those good ones? You're like, that's why. That's why yeah. I do this. You're like high-fiving everybody. And you're 100% right. You get those good, juicy ones. You're like, yeah. And then you go and you do three, three of them that you're like, oh man, this one sucked. This one sucked. Not necessarily you didn't make money, but just the process sucked. You know, then, oh, I got another good one. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fun. I, I love it, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was challenging too. You know, same time. I'm getting the itch to do them, to do them again. I'd like to do a couple this year if I could find them, but I'm being picky on them. Like you said, shoot for 40 on under $200,000 yeah. deal. Yeah. I don't need to flip. So I'm not going to squeeze, you know, blood out of a rock, so to say, just to try to make a dollar. It doesn't make any sense. But. No, and it's tax disadvantage, too. To a lot yeah. of people don't, when they're looking at their profit, they don't ultimately go through, wait a second, I got short-term capital again. Where am I at in this tax bracket, too? 25 grand could be 
15 grand super fast, depending on whether you have anything to depreciate or not, too. Yeah. So well, that's one of the reasons I stopped yeah. flipping and started holding the stuff that I was doing because that was where I was going to okay. next, right? Because yeah. it seems like a natural progression. All the sex is in the flipping, right? And mm-hmm. They sell the sex on TV, and the books sell the sex, and then the course sells the sex, and you're just ready. You're just ready to go make things beautiful and, and make all this money, and then you realize it's not the only way you can get that money out of the house. There are better ways to do it, and obviously everybody calls it burr now, like somehow that took off. Right. You know, you, you just call it buy, rent, refinance, but now it's burr. So actually, I kind of like Burr. I shouldn't talk so much shit about it, right? So Probably because you hate where it originated. I do. I do. I despise where where, I where it originated. Say, I'm like, oh, I not. <laughs> it's like a great not so inside secret on the podcast. So I like keeping it going. I'm not even going to mention who it is now because you should already know. Go right. back and listen to more podcasts. We're going to keep that as like a little inside right there. That's but great. I should embrace it more because it is a much better way, depending on your financial circumstance and if you've listened to almost every one of these podcast episodes count up the people with the most deals they don't have the most amount of money count up the people with the exception of josh sterling who sold as little as humanly possible it's the people who sold the least amount who when everything took off did the best i'm thinking of lots of people like jeff Bennett, like all these people who held out didn't sell didn't flip did a boring ass rent game, rode the whole thing out and looked like geniuses for doing it. But that's as old as time, isn't it? Like, yeah, but you're hundred percent right. I mean, you just say, you know, they held, they held out. I mean, you know, rentals is a long game. Flipping is a hundred yard sprint. Yep. You know, boom, boom, get my money real quick. Okay. And I got to pay my bills and I got to buy another property. Oh, I'm broke. <laughs> you know, just like that. Right. That's exactly how it went. I'll never forget my wife one day. She says, you need to start making some money. <laughs> That's never good. <laughs> no, because you know it's and it's but it was true and and I, I I took it to heart. I was like, wow, she's right. Like I got to change some things up because what I'm doing isn't it's not working to the extent of how I envisioned it was going to work. You know, oh, flip and I can if I can flip ten or twenty homes a year, you'll make X, right? I can do the math, but you never ended up making X. Nope. You know, you ended up making B or C. You know, somewhere way down the line. You know, uh, at the end of the day, and it's just like, man, it's it's just doesn't work that way. So, you know, it sucks because you go, oh man, maybe you make three, four hundred bucks a month on this one little house, and that one little house, three, four hundred bucks, we, ah, it's not much, you know. But you start accumulating ten, fifteen of those. If single family homes is the route that you want to go, it starts adding up. One day you look back and you go, oh wow, I have you know this portfolio of properties, you know. Well, Jesse been, okay. built an empire that yeah, way. Josh absolutely. Sterling really built an empire yeah. that sold as little as humanly possible. Yeah. Not that I think there's anything wrong with selling. We all got to do something. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any cash, flipping can be a great way to generate the cash. But where are you going to put the cash once you flip right. it? That's a great, great question. So you started getting more into the landlording aspect. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I cut my teeth on landlording on, with that first house in Bakersfield, which was, you know, this is back in the day. We really weren't using email we weren't there was i don't even think we were texting back then in 2002 to be honest with you if we were it wasn't mainstream um and i had horrible tenants then you know, lived an hour and a half away that's so far for a rental rent. oh yeah. my god so i'd have to drive out there hope they're home to try to collect rent so it was a huge time suck you know to go in and doing that but you know you you learn certainly you learn then i had another house out in california that i kept as a rental which was a really great deal um 
but I had that thing rented the whole time I was out here uh, until last year, early 19, mid spring of 19 before I finally sold it. But, you know, I learned how to manage, made mistakes. Um, so yeah, to do it out here wasn't anything different. It's certainly, depending on where you're at, you can have a different kind of customer, so to speak. You know, you have to just kind of adjust to how things work. But um, yeah, it's, it's, landlording isn't necessarily the funnest or the sexiest thing, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that's, that's where your wealth's going to be. I mean, I'm going to be able to refinance homes one day and pull money out and I still own the properties and I still get the tax write-offs yes. and I still have the cash flow. All the benefits you know? of flipping with the exception of the time component, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Right. But hopefully you're still alive years later, right? Yeah. Blink my eyes can be 20 years and you're going to have even more yeah. and be even more happier that you, you kept and held on to all of them. Yeah. yeah. The tax consequences alone. Um, I remember when Sterling was saying, yeah, I just put all this work in this house and I'm going to go sell it and get paid once or I can keep it and get paid forever and just wait until I have enough equity or I can have enough properties before I can refi and go out and do it again. And that's a way smarter way to do it. And there's so many deals out there that I see that are single family and there's deals there. You can go in and buy a single family home at a price point. You can come in and fix it up, get the appraisal you need, refinance out, pull all your money out, do yes. that birth strategy, and just rinse and repeat. I mean, they're still there. Ironically, that's easier. It is easier. It I is find way it much easier. easier. That's yes. why I'd much rather do that now yep. than, than flip and try to find that needle in a haystack, keep my fingers crossed, hope everything goes right. You know, um, I'd much rather find a rental that – you know, I can refine it. I don't necessarily need, oh, I need 10 grand out of it because I got to pay bills. No, I just want the cash flow. Give me 30 year debt on this sucker, you know, and let me just ride the cash flow out and just take that money that I use and do it on the next one and the next one and the next one. You know, that's, in my mind, that's certainly the best way to go as far as longevity. Because one day, flipping is not, you're not going to be able to do it. The yeah. market will turn. It will be impossible to flip. Hopefully, you don't have 10 of them going on at once to where you're going to lose your ass on all of them. Yeah, at least it's fast. I got my ass whooping fast. <laughs> if you got to lose, losing fast is better than losing slow. I'll tell yeah. you that. Just take your ass whooping, get up, you know, walk it off, and get back to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I had like 13 or 14 going when the, when the, it was like musical chairs and there wasn't any chair. You know, wow. I was like, hello. Yeah. At least it was fast, though. It was fast. I admire you, though, from coming back from that. Yeah, because well, so many people they get a little bad taste in the mouth. And what the fuck was I going to do? I was already here, moved right. out on fumes, right? Yeah. Got all my money in all these projects, and then lose everything immediately. Yeah. It was uh, like, well, am I going to move back or <laughs> figure it out? That's right? where, yeah, I decided to uh, to figure it out. I already moved out here, you know. Plus, I was like you, I saw the opportunity here yeah. too. I think, like, I, we're in Washington State, and a postage stamp is $500,000. The barrier to entry to get into that market is significantly higher. I got sold on the low barrier to entry out here. And then just obviously the sheer number of opportunities. I sent out thousands of postcards in Washington and I did deals, but like my response rate, it's like 0.5%. There just wasn't the motivation and the number of opportunities that were here. Here, I think the worst response rate I ever got was like 3.5%. It's different. Very different. Yeah, completely different. I mean, it's, you know, even when we were doing um, uh, the short sales and the pre, pre-NOD, pre notice the defaults, um, you know, we were marketing to areas that were blue collar. You know, that's just, we didn't do well in Orange County. Yeah. You know, we did well in East Los Angeles County. We did well in Riverside County. You know, we would even do um, 
some other French counties, you know, Kern County, which is Bakersfield, sometimes I'd go out there, you know, or just across that line. It's where more blue collar people were that didn't have the, that's what I'm looking for. They didn't have the access to help. I don't want to say to capital because it wasn't necessarily, but they didn't have the resources. That's what I'm looking yeah. for to help them. If I went to Orange County, oh, so-and-so's cousin, oh, I need 50 grand. You know, they, they could have that access to bail them out of a situation. You get in certain blue collar areas and they, they just don't have that, you know? Yeah, there's no net. No, there They isn't. fall all the way down. There isn't. So those tend to be the folks that, you know, um, those, those areas, that's where you have most foreclosures or, you know, NODs and things like that, that, that get filed. Unfortunately, you know, but all you can do is try to go in there and be, you know, not be that leech who's trying to, you know, take advantage of the people, but just be upfront honest with them and say, Hey man, here's what, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can help you. And you can walk away with this, you know, get a fresh start, you know, a lot of times that's, and give them, give them as much as you can help them out. Yeah, that absolutely. kind of thing. There's a right way to do it yeah. and help people out. I like helping people There's out no that better way. Satisfaction. And no better feeling than when you, I can sit across the table from a family who struggled, went through whatever, or is going through something, and you can be there and and be a help to them. Give them some sort of piece of advice or you're solving their problem. Maybe it is they just need the cash and need to get out, you know, um, whatever the case may be. When, when people honestly, like, are appreciative of the fact that you can help them, man, there's no better feeling. That's the one thing that I loved about real estate. We're doing the, the notice of default stuff was that I truly felt like I was helping people, you know, even though they're complaining, Oh, I have no money, you know, because they refinanced five times over the last, you know, <laughs> two and a half years. Yep. They got a boat in the yard and two boats. Escalade. What do you mean? My home, my home's upside down. Well, do you got this toy? You got that toy. You know, you pulled out 150 grand. Oh yeah, I guess I did. You know, yep. well, then don't look at it like you're losing your home. You, you you took out what you could take out. Now it's time to give it back. You got to pay the piper. You know, but uh, yeah, there's no better feeling than when you can truly help someone who just needs it, wants it, and just looking for someone to hey help me versus take advantage. I mean, there's a lot of guys that just kind of you know give a lot of good dudes a bad name. You know, when you hear about it, so I think it's hard for all of us, and we. Walk in, oh, here comes those those guys that want to steal my house from me. You know, it's like, no, I'm here to give you a, a good offer on a house based on what I see, you know? But. Well, I think there was a lot of resentment, too, and I still have it. I fucking hate the banks because the banks got bailed out. Oh, yeah. And guess what? The the middle class and the poor got butt-fucked. That was just Dude, the bottom line. That's, I mean, you could start a podcast. I'll never forgive them. I will know? never forgive them for that ever, ever, ever. No, why not yeah. give the money to the to the Amer- to everyday Americans think what that would have done for the economy you know no they give it to the banks they get bailed out we foot the tax bill as taxpayers yeah. I think I heard something the other day for every tax paying um, American so 18 and over everyone's who's, who's of age to pay tax I think it's like $186,000 of debt per person and it's just getting worse that's just stupid yep Stupid. It was the worst of all the decisions they could have made. So when we were going on these appointments, like I always bonded with them over, like it was easy because yeah, like, yeah. Hey, I'm on your side. Fuck these banks, man. They, they, here's the best way for you to move forward. Yeah. You know, don't worry about the bank at all. Right. They're not worried about you. Right. You know, you're that, a loan number. So yep, that's you're just it. a loan number. It's all you are. That's a, barely a number. Yeah. A sheet of paper or zeros and O's and a, and a, and a computer. That's all, that's all you are to them. And then you can actually, and they didn't care about helping them either. No. So a lot of times it, as ironic as it is, it was the investor coming in who actually did the help. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, sometimes we're rewarded for it, but I did plenty of work too. I didn't get paid for as well. Yeah. I sell, I help save people's houses. Like what well, the first, uh, this one was the worst one I ever did. The, uh, the first tax auction I did, I wish I could remember the address, but it was on Kentucky and we were door knocking him cause we wanted to walk. Yeah. We were super aggressive too. We wanted to walk him before I put in the bid and the guy opened the door and I knew immediately something was wrong because I could see that there was ropes tied everywhere inside the house. And I'm like, why would you have ropes tied? So I start my conversation. Gina's with me too because she's aware we're going to get killed knocking on these doors and all that. <laughs> and I'm like, are you aware that in two days you're going to lose your home for tax foreclosure this is coming up it's going to be auction off that's why i'm here i was just knocking on the door to let you know and by the way can i come in and take a peek and all that and he actually let us in wow his wife was blind oh. and he had diabetes and he was starting to have memory loss and he couldn't afford to take care of her all the time and he had to go do some work sometimes to pay bills so he tied up rope through his house so his wife can find her way from the bathroom when he wasn't home, she can get find her way around. Yep, we called. We called right there to Wayne County Tax because um, he his his phone was turned off too. So we sat there for two and a half, three hours. Let him use our cell phone so we can get his. I never know what happened on that one because I couldn't remember the address, but he did get it removed because I remember we were at the auction; it wasn't available. So nobody gave a fuck about that see, guy, right? But see, to your point, and his like, wife, you know, you did something just out of consideration and kindness for. Another person, he saw struggle. You didn't want to look at two sick paid. old people. Yeah, you weren't looking to get paid on that deal, and you don't get rewarded for that. There's no paycheck at the end of the day, but yeah. man, the reward is the feeling you get that, you know what? I just did the right thing. That was the right you thing. Know? Yeah, I don't know how much extra time they got. I like how everybody's outraged now with all the articles in the paper. They go, oh, yeah, it turns out that assessing these homes at prices that were unrealistic actually did contribute to the foreclosure crisis. Right. And you did steal homes from the poor and the elderly and the mentally ill that you shouldn't have taken. And fast forward 10, 11, 12 years later, and everybody's actually outraged. I was outraged while it was happening. Right. You're foreclosing on this house. that is now worth $10,000, assuming it was worth 150. Right. If that's not a crime, I don't fucking know what is. Right. right? And then you steal their house and make them homeless and, make them a render and destroy whatever equity they had in their home. So you can go through the, and get these taxes and this tax foreclosure process. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad everybody's upset now, but I'm wondering why it took 11, 12 years before everybody was super upset. If you went yeah. and door knock some tax foreclosures, I think you'd be more upset a lot sooner. Probably wasn't a lot of guys down there. knocking. No, they weren't. That was a pretty crazy thing. <laughs> right. It worked really well though. We got oh, into yeah. a lot of houses and, there was only that one that was really bad that we're like, this is an obvious mistake. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't know he was losing his mind and all that. But wow. yeah, it wasn't the government or the banks helping these, uh, these people out. Even then the tax people, they weren't helping them out, just throwing them to the wolves. Yeah. So that was one of the cool things about helping them. It was very stressful though. Like I did more of that during the short sale process back in the day than I did in the REO and the, mm -hmm. and the tax auction. After that, I was just like, I'm not buying them if they're occupied. I just didn't feel comfortable with that. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, if they're, if they left, there's like, maybe they changed their mind. There's some peace with it, but I just backed away from all the occupied stuff after that. Same thing with the land bank. 
I won't deal with the land bank. You're going to steal houses from people. You don't need my help for, I'll just, I'll go fish in a, in another pool. There's just some things right. I'm completely unwilling to do because I know how the system works and I know how many people it actually chews up that mm-hmm. shouldn't be chewed up mm-hmm. by the system. Yeah. It was the same thing I looked for with notes. I wanted, I wanted vacant houses. I don't want to, that's just, who wants to kick someone out of their house, man? You yeah. Know? Well, it wouldn't be so bad if I knew that there was a process you could trust, but having been so intimately involved in it, I just didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. I didn't want to be the the bad guy, especially when you're getting sold the bill of goods and then you got to go kick them out of the house. That's what they wanted you to do when they sold you that damn note in the first place. They wanted you to be the bad guy. Yeah, they didn't want to be it. They then you find out about all the robo signings and like, how many of these are actually legit? And do mm-hmm. I really want to be a part of this? You know, it's a lot easier to just come in and pick them up as REO yeah. or a vacant REO or, yeah. or tax auction. 100%. Anyway, I want to get back to this closer part. We got digressed there. <laughs> Folks, you know, this is a, this is kind of a tangent podcast anyway. So. <laughs> Strap in for the ride. We go where we want to go or where it's interesting. Um, I didn't know if you want to talk about it. I didn't talk to you about it before the podcast, but you are a closer. Yeah. Um, and part of what you do is you go and also close for wholesale deals as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people think of that necessarily as a trade as well, but it kind of is. Yeah. There's a process of closing yeah. based on a personality. Right. So you also have a significant amount of wholesale experience. And I'll let you talk about what you feel comfortable talking about and mentioning names and all that. I, but I, we can mention anyone. There, I figured you would. I just didn't want to. Yeah. So, um, You're part of a badass team. So that's yeah, what I was like. I'm very lucky to have been, you know, considered and, and, and brought onto that team for sure. But yeah, again, it's here comes this theme again i'm looking for a change i was tired of of kind of the fix and flip what i want to do okay i'm going to buy some rentals here comes jesse boyd you know who had been financing my deals and he and 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 ron wall raven were looking to grow their um uh their team and, and their wholesale presence here in uh in the area they had one one guy that was answering calls and jesse um sat down with me and he says you know what you should come work with us and again, it was an opportunity to learn and just to watch two unbelievable guys with unbelievable character. You talk to anybody in this town, what can you tell them about Ron Wait? Ron, I can't talk. Ron, Ron the Don. Raven, thank you. <laughs> and Jesse Boyd, and they're going to tell you they're, they're guys with integrity. The guys are going to be you know upfront and honest with you. They're not going to try to swindle you or you know do any kind of Weasley stuff. So, um, and I I knew Jesse better than I did Ron. I mean, obviously I I knew Ron because we you know run in the same circle, but. Um, yeah, they uh, were looking for someone to um, um, go out on appointments um, and close deals, which is exactly what I did in the short sale um, phase of my life, except for I wasn't doing it as an agent to get listings. I was doing it as, you know, someone working for uh, Waymark Homes to come in and, and just make offers, you know, um, and buy properties. And it's, I love it. Again, I'm, and the thing I love about it is, one, it brings me back to being able to help people. Um, two, um, I don't have to do every process, you know. Um, That's the best part right is, there. It is the best yeah. part because someone else sets my sets my appointments. They set my schedule. All I do is run comp, show up at the house, look at the home, determine the repairs that need to be done, what that dollar value is. I sit down and make an offer right there. You know, um, when it's done, I send the offer over to my office. They've got a transaction coordinator deals with everything else. So I just, I go in, do my thing and get out. 
Yeah, Jessica's great too. She's oh, really she's, on, she's on the ball. Yeah, yeah she's really, really good. Is. It's a sharp ass team over there. Yeah. Sharp as attack. They've yeah. got some some and again it's it's a testament to Jesse and Ron and their ability to see skill sets in people, you know? Um, and bring certain things out of people as well, you know, because most of these guys that work, they don't have real estate experience, you know, but can, they can see this is a skill set they've got that can be applicable to our team and what we do, you know. So, yeah, when, when they asked for me to, to come on, again, it was an opportunity to do something different, kind of break away from the, the flips um, and just sit back and watch these two guys, watch them build their business. Um, Jesse, I worked more with on a one-on-one or in a group setting basis um, than, than Ron. Jesse kind of was running uh, certain aspects that I was involved in. So, um, again, just to be able to watch these guys and, and soak up what you can. It's been unbelievable. And to associate myself, as I said already, with those guys gives me so much confidence when I go in and I sit down with the homeowner. You know, And I honestly think that's probably one of the biggest reasons I can close deals is I know what's behind me. Yes. I know the team behind me. I know that they'll stand on, if I say something to a homeowner, it's because it's truth. It's because we're going to do this. You know, it's not because, well, I'm hoping this. And if I can get this other guy to give me more money, you know, I don't have to worry about that. You guys aren't fishing. You're there to actually help them out. Do a deal. Yes, you're going to make money, but series is a heart attack going into these things. And with just years of experience, wealth of knowledge, thousands of deals between everybody on that thing. It's yeah. kind of, there's a reason why I think they're the biggest wholesaler in the region. They're really just getting started too, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is crazy. I mean, I think I've been doing this with them for, I guess, end of 18, last quarter of 18, maybe, I think. So maybe about a, you know, a little over a year, maybe not quite a year and a half, roughly. Um, and to see the growth that we've done in that short amount of time, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah, it, yeah. it has been. You guys are getting yeah. after it over there for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's a lot of fun, man. And we have we have a good time. Again, the chemistry with the people that they've hired is great. Um, um, and to you know work with Ron and learn from him. He's – I may close for Ron, but when we talk about deals sometimes, he says some things. I'm like, ooh, that's good, you know? I can learn from that because he's done, he's done more deals than I've, than I've ever done, you know, and more deals from a creative uh, financing, you know, background than me, you know? Um, so it's just cool to, to talk to guys like that again and, and just pick their brains and just soak up what you can. But yeah, I, I love doing it. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Well, I think people don't also think of, they think just wholesaling and they think it's just like one thing too. Right. And I found I was really good at some parts of wholesaling and not as good at other parts. And I'm not surprised at all that a wholesaling team is going to dominate the region in the same way that real estate agent wholesale teams do, because you guys, whatever your weakness is, you could just plug it with someone who's amazing at that damn thing. And now you got yourself a fucking Terminator going through the market, <laughs> right? Just like, you know, I'm not surprised at all because it takes all the weaknesses of the loan guy and it just disappears. And all you have to do now is a certain amount of volume and you're essentially unstoppable. You're like a machine just eating up deals all the time. And people don't think of closing as an actual learned skill too, which it is. Don't get me wrong. If you have a certain personality types, it's a little easier for you, but just like plumbing or electrical, it is a learned trade that you can do. And I think a lot of people have negative associations with closing as well. Cause I think you just go in there and tell them things to get what you want 
which is not how it works right, at all. Right. Maybe you, you, you watch too many Hollywood movies or something. You can't cast spells. You, right, know? Like, right. you will sell me this house really cheap. Right. A little Jedi <laughs> way. Yeah. No, you actually have to figure out their problem yeah. and solve it and then yeah. walk them through the emotional process. Yeah. And that's a skill that could be learned too. And it's 100%. a very valuable skill. And people are smart, right? People can see a weasel coming from a mile away. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've locked up a deal at the end of that at, of that signing of that contract, I'm just chatting with the with the homeowner or, or the seller, and they say, "You know what? I like you." The last, the last guy offered me more money, but there's just so, was something about him I didn't like. People don't understand that they yeah. will take a lower offer because they like you. It happens all the time. All the time. That happens all the time because we I can go in there again. This comes down to the guys that you know with with Ron and. That team standing behind me, you know, the conference I can walk into into uh, an appointment with, I can be as upfront and honest with the homeowner, regardless if they want to hear it or not. Here's the truth, and here's what we're going to do. Because a lot of times these homeowners, you know, they they want to hear what they want to hear, or wholesalers will tell them what they want to hear, you know. And sometimes I contradict that, but I'm coming at them with the God's honest truth, and. You know, if you connect with someone and and get them to see that you're not there to take advantage of them, you're not there to just tell them what they want, but you're there to say, "Here's how we can solve your problem." Yeah, they can they can see that you're really there to help them. There's many times I'll go into a deal and I'll say, "Why why did you guys call us out?" Well, I want to sell my house. Well, I understand that, but this thing needs to be on the MLS. I don't want to pay a realtor. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to pay you. Here's what you're going to get on the MLS. Yeah. What do you want to do now? Right. Are you in a hurry to sell? No, I got time. Then great. Call a realtor. You know, I'd love to buy it cash, but it's not in their best interest, you know? So I certainly, I'll always push someone. If I feel there's a better route, I push them that direction. Well, ironically, I think you're more likely to get the deal when you do that too. I've done that multiple times. I do it on every deal I go on now. I will say if it should be on the MLS, I'm like, well, this is what I think you should do. I think you should list for this. I think you would get this. Yeah. It might take you two to four months to get it. Are you in a hurry? No. Well, this is where I think it, you, your best move, or you can accept my low ball cash offer. I don't think you should accept. Right. And still half the time they take it. Yeah. You know, so you're like, you're not going to lose deals over it too. And I think it helps because they go, this guy's being super honest with me. It's absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, people want to do business with people that they like and they feel they can trust. Yep. You know, um, and well, Ron's famous for the calculator. He'll actually pull out the oh, calculator, yeah. folks. I just want to help him filling in some gaps here. He'll pull out the calculator and go, it's worth this. Then he'll take off his amount. Then he'll subtract out the rehab and go that like, how much more transparent could you possibly be? This is how I came up with my number and it's just open like a book. I'll do the same thing. I'll take, cause I print out my comps, right? I'll pull them all just thumbnail view of them all. And I'll show someone, here's what stuff's selling for in your area. You know, here's how we calculate our offer. Here's the repairs. And I tell them, here's what I would do to your house. Boom, 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 boom. Here's my costs. You agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I figured about that much. Great. Here's how I'm going to figure out your offer. And I'll do the same thing. I'll scratch it on paper so they can see it. Yep. It's understandable. And I'll punch it in on the calculator. Here's where the number spits out. You know, I don't know if I'm going to say too much, you know, as far as trade <laughs> secrets, but there's certain things that, that, you know, you, you can, you can say and, and not, I don't know if this is going to come out right, but, you know, there's, there's certain things that I'll do at an appointment that, you know, there's everything's negotiable. 
right? But um, I never want to back myself into a corner with an offer price and then go, oh, well, no, 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 I'll pay more. And then, then you look desperate and, and yeah. So you're a smart man. You're thinking about you're thinking 12, 15 plays ahead. Some people to. are so short sighted. It's a chess game. Yes. You know, chestnut checkers, motherfuckers. I, tell, <laughs> I tell my guys what to set the appointments because they we use a, um, a platform podio and they put notes. And I always tell the guys, I want to know why they're selling there. If there's an amount that they're looking for, um, what their uh, current situation is. Uh, and I want to know what the condition of the house is, because um, I want to I want to have some ammunition when I go into that appointment. You know, how much work is this thing need? Why are they selling? Are they behind on taxes? What's their because it's rarely about price. You know, why do they need to sell in the next 30 days? It's rarely about price. You hear that, folks? Take, I'm just, he's spitting out some real truth right here. Everybody <laughs> thinks it's about price. It is rarely about price. It is yeah. rarely about price. It's, they have a, they have a problem. You need to come in and solve it. Yep. If you can solve that problem and make it a win-win, everyone's happy. If you come in and try to solve the problem and it's only a win for you, you're not going to get that deal. And if you are work. getting deals, man, I hope you sleep well at night because I couldn't do that. No, it's a, it's, you have to get a new customer every time you get no referrals that way. It right. just, it's a really expensive way to operate a yeah. business. Yeah. You're right. You're hundred percent right. Keeps your costs high. It makes you less competitive to people who, who are doing the right thing. Yeah. So by all means, keep doing it, make it easier for the rest of us. <laughs> and, and we get, sometimes I'll, I'll lose on a deal and they go, Oh, so-and-so says they're going to give me X. Okay. No problem. And I honestly genuinely tell them, I hope it works out for you. It's 30 grand more than I can get you. If anything goes wrong and you reconsider, give me a call, let me know. You know, and oftentimes we'll get a call a month later. Yeah. Oh, we were supposed to close last week. Now he hasn't called me back. Or, you know, I now love he's that. asking he me for a $20,000 price reduction. Surprise. Well, we can close this thing in three weeks. No questions asked. You know what our offer is. I don't need to go wave this offer in front of a bunch of investors and see who'll give me that money. Yep. You know, and for them, a lot of people, that's what it's about. I want a guaranteed close. Yep. You know, I want to know this thing, this thing isn't going to fall out in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you know, however long it is. So don't write offers on things that aren't deals that you don't think you can close on. I don't, that was like the, that's the longer version of what you just said right there. He's writing offers they could really get done and close on and will really close on. Right. Like it's. Not fishing. You're not doing anyone any favors when no. you're writing pie in the sky offers, keeping your fingers crossed. Because a homeowner is plant. They got a life they're planning. Hey, I'm planning this in closing in 30 days. I'm planning on distributing these funds because mom, you know, mom's in a healthcare facility. We need to, you know, assisted living. We need to use this money to get her medical attention, whatever the case may be, right? And when you start screwing with that because you're trying to squeeze out an extra couple grand yeah. or you're trying to be the highest offer and you think you can get someone to, to buy it and then you, you, you can't perform on that, man, and you knew you couldn't perform on it to begin with. Just That's the crazy deal. thing. You knew yeah. so many people know ahead of time. They're like, well, they'll give me a price reduction later. Right. That's right. the polar opposite of what you guys are doing, right? Yeah. Like deception, come back, beat you up, and then close on it, and then never do business with that person again, or anybody in his family, or anybody ever talks to. He's going to talk shit about you for that very reason. You yeah, know? I, I could never, uh, and I don't know, and there's some guys that do that. I don't know how. I don't know how they can sleep at night just because you made a few bucks if you do that, you know? I know that for us, I could stand behind my offer. Hey, I'm not always the best offer. I get it. I'm not going to win every time. No, don't want to either. No, I don't. And there's a lot of times I'll walk into a house and I just say, I don't want to buy this house. It Period. This is just, you yep. know, no matter what what amount, I'm not going to be able to resell this darn thing, you know? And I'll tell someone, you need to look somewhere else because I can't, you know, I can't do this deal. 
Um, but yeah, if you're if you're only looking out for yourself and and not looking out for the homeowner's interest first, you I don't think you I don't know when that can be successful over longevity. Not you know, for any long. sustained period no. of time. No. no, you can milk your market and then you're gonna have to move to another fucking city and hope they don't Google your name, right? right? right. <laughs> or my favorite are the people who keep changing their names all the time. I'm like, I wonder <laughs> why. <laughs> Because I don't know if you know about branding. Coke doesn't change his name all the time. <laughs> so I guess it was time for another na- LLC name to right. try and, and hide yourself behind that. Or you could just do it the right way. Right. That would sure help. How does this lead, though, into the least appreciated, uh, <laughs> hardest, most challenging? Not very many people wake up in the morning and go, you know what I want to do? I want to work for a bunch of other landlords renting out there properly and just trickle in 10% and have a bunch of headaches and all that. How do you go to your newest, latest thing that you're building on? I've sent people to you and people are very happy with you, but property management, even less sexy than landlording. Yes. It is like the bottom of the maybe... Sorry if I hurt your feelings, folks. Maybe title company people. Like I don't know where the real bottom of this thing is, but you're definitely closer to the end with the property management. Nobody yeah. gets excited about it. No, there's not 20 bestsellers on starting your own property management no. company and getting rich. What made you do this? Couple reasons. One, um, it goes back to 2000. This might have been 2000. I don't know, eight, 2010. I was doing really well with REOs, making a bunch of money. Market was changing in California, and I had known that Austin, Texas, was expecting to like do really, really well in the next ten years, like lead the country in job growth and price appreciation and whatnot. And a friend of mine and I, we said, let's take a trip out to Austin. Well, we come back with contracts on 12 units which we didn't expect i wanted to go just kind of do some market research we had two fourplexes next to each other and then we had a two two duplexes that anchored a cul-de-sac so one on either side of the street at the very front and there were good deals not great deals um, um but we bought those and long story short i was knee deep in reos and swamped and that was my focus no time for anything else my buddy was um processing short sales with what he was doing and every month on the 29th day of, of, um, of a 30-day process, we'd get a call from the lender. Hey, you guys are about to be 30 days late on your mortgage. We wanted to call you. What are you talking about 30 days late? What do you mean 30 days? My, my property manager pays the mortgage for us out of our account. Well, wah, just letting wah, you know wah. we don't have a payment. So we'd contact the property manager. No, no, payment was sent. Payment was sent. Every month we dealt with this. Every single month on the 29th day, we're getting a call. So, of course, we're trying to protect our credit. I don't want 30 days late. So here I am authorizing you know, that particular lender to withdraw funds from my account. Long story short, the properties just never – they could never get them cash flowing well. Um, ultimately, there was a couple people that were running the property management company. They got fired uh, for embezzlement. Yep. Um, and I think probably between my partner and I, it was – I used to know this number. I can't recall if it was like 30 grand total or maybe like 20, 20 to 30 grand a piece. But it was a lot of money that we ultimately came out of pocket for, not even including the fact that, you know, we put 10% down on each one of those. So we probably had 60 grand each out of our pocket for down payments on the stuff that we ultimately, I think we sold a couple of them and I think we short sold two other ones. Um, 
which was, yeah, I just left a sour taste in my mouth. And I remember telling myself, I will never, ever buy property out of state again, ever. Well, hence 2015. Yeah. And I was introduced to um, a gentleman, Nadim Gabriel, and his cousin, Andre. And uh, they were running a uh, successful property management company up in Genesee County, um, Flint area. Um, title company rep introduced me to them. They started showing me properties to flip. Nadim, um, more so, he was the one that was acting as, as a realtor and agent. So my first few flips here in Michigan were Genesee County. I was flipping and flushing, Grand Blank. I forgot about that. Yeah, you were yeah. out, out in the sticks before you came in closer. Yeah, absolutely. That's where I was finding deals. That's where they were getting shown to me. It wasn't until I started going, making a, uh, an effort to say, I got to find stuff closer to home, you know, versus making a 45 minute to an hour drive up there all the time coming from Berkeley. So um, that's when I started going to your podcast. But I, I met those guys and I just remember telling myself one day, just, in my head, you know, if I were ever to buy a property out of state again, because at that time I didn't know I was staying here. Um, the plan for my wife and I, we were going to move out of, out of state at some point, but um, we just decided this was our home. But long story short, I just said, you know, if I was ever to, to buy property out of state, I would trust these guys to manage my properties. And we've stayed friends and we've done deals together and they've managed a couple properties for me. And then right at the same time that Waymark Holmes had – um, come to me about um, working with them and being their closer or acquisitions manager, I guess they call it. Um, it was literally the day before I had agreed to um, partner up with Gabriel Management and open up a Detroit office. Um, he had, Nadim had kind of jokingly said one day, when are you going to get your license? We should, you know, we'd like to, you know, we should partner up and do a, a an office in Detroit, you know, LOL via text message. And it just made my wheels turn. I was like, wow, you know what? It's an opportunity, you know. It's going to be hard. It's going to suck oh, at yeah. times, but I knew the feeling that I had when I had those properties in Austin, and it sucked. I came back from it. I lost a lot of money. But I came back from it, but I thought, you know what? All I've heard about since being here in, in Michigan is how no one can find good property management. Yes, you it's know? very ch- especially in the city. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's a, a cakewalk in the suburbs, but at least you have some options and you can kind of go through and go, eh. Yeah. But you get in Detroit, you end up skinny real fast. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many of these embezzlement stories I've heard. They steal the Section 8 money. They steal the rehab money. You know, it just, you hear about it all yeah. the damn time. And that's just the, the bad ones. Yeah. Then there are the good ones with the good hearts who just can't seem to ever get their shit right, right? right? And they right. fuck your life up in the same way. <laughs> they don't have the evil intentions of the other people, right. but they it's. I think it's because it's thankless to a certain extent, and you need so much volume too before it makes sense. Yeah. But man, it's a challenging ass business. It is, and it it is very thankless because you know the the owners want their returns, and you're listening to tenants that have issues complaining to you. So no one's ever like, wow, you're just doing a great job. It's Never. very rare. You yeah. know, it's very, very rare. You're ruining um, my life. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again? Right. Um, but, you know, they, they manage, Gabriel Management and the Flynn office manages about 1,200 properties up there. So they're no small town. And that, that's a large number for a small town. That's a know? large number anywhere. Yeah, it is. See, that's a number where I think like the team thing. I think it's even more true with property management because if you don't have a certain volume coming in, you just can't do a great job. You yeah. need a certain amount of money just to be able to provide yeah. great service. And people don't think right. about the scalability there. I heard one property manager, and I've never done it, so I don't know. You'll tell me. 
that they don't even start to be good until 150 or more units because they can't really afford to pay a lot of people and do a great job or that has to be the only thing they do and you got to sacrifice so much. That's exactly what I was going to say is yep. these guys are using this money as their income. So they never get a chance to grow more than 100 properties. And at that point you're just you're just getting by. You know, you can't grow when you're at 100 properties. You just can't. You have to be able to scale. So knowing that these guys had you know, nine people in their office and they have a full-time accountant and two people that are just dedicated to answering phones. And they've got a guy that just manages the rehabs, another guy that just manages their maintenance calls. And knowing the types of guys they were, I thought this is interesting because I can piggyback off of their success. Because to be honest, what did I know about property management? Well, I had a few properties, (laughs) you know, it's a different story when you're taking phone calls and you're really dealing with stuff, you know, Um, and you've got to answer to owners who have a certain level of expectation. You've got tenants that have a certain level of expectation. You've got the city of Detroit that you're dealing with, you know, which is a big pain and other municipalities as well that are cracking down on a lot of stuff and making it real difficult for owners. Um, so yeah, it was just, again, an opportunity where I thought this is something I can build for the long run. This is something that I'm not working for anyone else, I'm not having to fix and flip a property for heck at this. I already owned, you know, a small port, a small portfolio of rental properties. Um, why not just, why not just go for it? You know, why not provide great management? Um, I think that there's a huge opportunity to do so in Detroit because like you, you attested to all we hear is just how bad it is. And it takes a while. There's no question. We're, we're pushing on, we're pushing coming up on 150 properties. Um, I want to be a 200 at the end of this year. And yeah, we're just now at the point where the last couple of months we hired a full-time maintenance guy. We're interviewing um, next week for um, an office person so we can grow. I don't pull a penny from that, from that company as income for me. It's all going back into the company to grow it because I do think that we can grow this thing to 2000 plus units um, and really do a good job for owners. Um, I know that we're not going to gouge people. We're not going to rip people off. We don't want to be slumlords. We don't want to work with slumlords. Um, you know, we want people that want to uh, provide good housing to be able to get a good quality tenant. And we need to be able to, to take care of that tenant while they're there. You know, and some owners get that. Some we work with there, you know, I want a $25 a month raise on, on the rent rental increase. And you're going, you're going to lose this tenant who's taking care of your property you know, all for 25 bucks, they're going to move out. Now this thing's vacant and you're going to get who knows who in here as a tenant that may not be quite as good, you know? Yeah. One month of vacancy will make that $25 for the year just disappear. Yeah. yeah just gone. Now, how important was it now? You know? Yeah. So it's a huge challenge, um, in a positive way. Um, and I, I, I'm really fortunate that I can rely on the guys that I do, uh, in Flint for just so much, they have so much knowledge and, and information and, you know, back in support that, um, if I was just starting out on my own, there's no way I could have, I could have done it, you know, but I, because of my issues I had in Austin, Texas, I mean, I take it to heart that, Hey, these are our properties and we need to do the best we can for these properties. You know, um, coming from a service industry background of bartending and waiting tables, that's what you do. You serve people. You know, I think that's part of something that I enjoy again, when I'm Closing for, you know, Waymark Homes and I'm talking to a homeowner. I'm serving that person's interest and I'm doing the same thing with property management. I'm here to serve both, both the tenants and the owner of that property, you know, and it's a balance. It's a balance. But when I'm there, I'm picking up trash, you know, I'm 
I want the properties looking good. You know, we're making sure they're getting lawn mowed. You know, we're making sure we're out there getting the snow removal done so tenants don't slip and fall. You know, and I, it's amazing. Like, that's what a lot of tenants just want. Hey, just take care of my needs. The last, I hear it all the time. Oh, the last manager company didn't do nothing. Yeah. Like almost every time. Yeah. All I did was collect my rent. So these people are bitter. And all, it takes a while for you to come in and they see that you're there to do the right thing by them. You know, not cater to their every need, but you're there to give them a safe place to live and a good quality home. Most tenants will appreciate that. Some just want to play the system and just, you know, do what they can and go from property to property. But most tenants just want to have, you know, they want to be treated fairly, want to be treated with respect and, um, you know, give me a good safe place to live. And that's what we want to do. Well, a great property manager, and I'm thinking of one, I don't I don't think you've ever met him because he retired before he started. And I won't mention anything about where the company is at now, keep myself safe. But Larry Garner built an empire off of his property management company. And he was my first experience of what a great property manager is capable of. Mm-hmm. And he built an entire empire. He had hundreds of properties free and clear. He had a pawn shop. He had apartment buildings. like, And he was still running this property management company. I never get tired of telling this story. I think I've told it like a thousand times on the podcast, but I'm going to do it again. I remember I was doing the Urban Trail Wholesaler thing, and I called in. It was like 2008. It was like 6.30 in the morning, and I fully expect to call and leave a voicemail. And on the second ring, Larry Garner picks up. Now, you got to realize this guy was like 74 at the time. Wow. Multi- millionaire multi-millionaire and he picks up the phone on the second ring garner properties i'm like larry what the hell are you doing is like oh i like to get an early start around here <laughs> are you the only one in the office yeah most people don't show up till like 8 or 8 30 at 6 30 in the morning i'm like so i could see what's possible and i got introduced to that unfortunately it was all kind of downhill um after that obviously josh sterling's doing something entirely different with yeah. epic property management and serving the high end and end of the market but i also saw what was possible i also know i couldn't do it um so i don't think people have that experience either of how great a great property manager can be for your portfolio for you he saved me from buying the wrong houses he said yeah, i wouldn't buy this one you know unfortunately i bought one before he's like yeah, okay we'll do the best we can but this is probably going to hurt told me too straight up you know, um, there's so much opportunity there and he built a whole empire off of it too. So it's interesting that you're kind of doing something similar now. Uh, but I never worried about my rental properties when I had them. It's back before I lost everything. That's how it should be. I never worried about that's how it should be. That doesn't mean you you shouldn't be looking at your, I was still checking statements and whatnot, but yeah, you you need to be updated on what's going on. Larry was working. You don't have to worry about it. You know, he was taking care of shit. And you said something that was great. He told you, you know, he saved you from buying some piece of junk property, you know, I mean, that's your job, you know, as just a person, save someone, you know, I, I get calls all the time. There's, there's a, an investor out of New York. He always texts me, Hey, could I tell him he bought a property and it's, it's okay. It's not in the best area. I said, if you're looking at something, let me know. You know, I don't have all day to look at it, but if, if I can give you a quick feedback, let me know. And he'll send me some, what do you think about this? And I'll tell him, Hey, I don't like the neighborhood. You know, it's, it's okay. Maybe you're close to, to grass it. That's a good thing for the bus lines, but man, what kind of tenant are you going to get in here? The whole block is blown out, you know? Oh, okay, great. Because the price looked good. Well, maybe it looks good on paper, but when the man. thing's not, per, not performing for yeah. you, you can't keep a tenant. You're not going to be too happy. So 
Your customer's not going to be happy too. You're doing the right. No, absolutely. You're not serving in their best interest. You know, if someone comes to me and says, what do you think? I'll tell you what I think. You know, I have another lady um, who's out of the country and um, she works for a company and they, they're like a service provider for, um, for buyers. And she would send me to a property and I'd say, no, you're, you got four boarded up homes across the street from you and nine of the surrounding 12 are boarded up. You do not want this property. Oh, okay. You know, uh, or hey, this is what you can get realistically for rent. Oh, someone told me I can get a thousand bucks. You're not getting a thousand bucks. You're not. This is what this neighborhood's going to rent for. Again, it's just setting, it's setting expectations. You know, here's reality. Here's pie in the sky. What kind of schmuck am I if I give you pie in the sky just to get your business? Meanwhile, now I can't, I can't. Yeah, back you're not it collecting up. that ten percent. Right, and then you're gonna be pissed at me as the owner, saying, "Hey, you told me I could get this. Yeah, well, you know, I tried." You know, I'd rather underpromise and overdeliver versus overpromising and wait, what did I say? Did I say overpromise and underdeliver? No. You <laughs> said underpromise. Okay, you say good. I'd rather underpromise and overdeliver than you overpromise know? and underdeliver. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you just again set the proper expectations and I would I would want to I would want someone to do that for me if I'm calling in and saying, Hey, I'm looking at a property in Charlotte, North Carolina. What do you think about it? I don't want someone to say, yeah, it's a good one. What does that tell me? What's the neighborhood like? You know, was, you know, can you, do you know it well? You know, what can I expect for rent? You know, how do you guys operate? You know, I, I would, especially in a city like Detroit, where as we know, it's a block by block, you know, house by house kind of a neighborhood. You can, one half of the block could be one way. You drive half a block and it's totally different. You know, I always like to drive it from two or three different directions too. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, cause you don't know which way the tenant or the buyer is going to come from. So right. before you actually buy the damn thing, either get somebody to drive it from a couple different directions or you should go out and do it to his yeah. point. Cause he just, he's not kidding. <laughs> There's a reason he's not doing it. Cause he likes to do it. You need to go out and see, cause it could be literally block by block and you go, yeah. Ooh, I don't like that direction. If they drive from this way, it's just all bombed the entire way. Yeah. I think some investors think that renters don't have choices or something. Right. right? right, right. <laughs> but it said on Zillow I could get nine fifty a month yeah, for this. I'm yeah. like, Nobody wants to live in a. a where, do you think just because they're poor they want to live next to twelve vacant houses right. that are scary and burned down? No, right. they don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they want good, safe neighborhoods too. And it's you know, sometimes it's a challenge in Detroit to provide that, but. You know, if you can provide them a nice, clean, safe home to come into, tenants for the most part will be happy. And for owners, yeah, if you can point them in the right direction. Now, you're going to make your decision as an owner. I can't control that. But I can give you my input. It may not be what you want to hear, but it's going to be, from my perspective, my truth to you, you know, and take it for what it's worth, you know. But, um yeah, it's something that um, it's, it's it's certainly a challenge. It's a challenge that I'm up to taking because um, it is so different from anything I've ever done before, you know. But at the same time, I do love the customer service aspect of it and and trying to steer people in the right direction and do right by them as an investor. Because again, I I would hope that someone would do that for me. I didn't get that when I bought in Austin. You know, I dealt with. I didn't want to go there, but you know, same we, thing in Detroit, but yeah, worse. Yeah, yeah some of these people, you know, and they've got thirty grand, fifty grand, a hundred grand. It's their life savings. Yeah, it's everything. And they think, oh, they're they're told buy in Detroit, you can buy a home for twenty five grand and rent it for nine hundred dollars. 
all right, they do it and they don't necessarily educate themselves or talk to enough people or they just go with the first management company that they, that they interview. You got to know what you're doing. You've got to, you got to understand the dynamic of, of the city of Detroit, uh, understand what it would take to, uh, uh, to manage a property that you're looking at buying, what real expectations are as far as rents. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's like hiring contractors, right? You learn by hiring the wrong ones. Yes. You know, I'll give you a try. Oh, they suck. They're fired. You don't know until you've already, you're already, lack of a better word, you're in bed with them at that point, right? So same with property management. You go in there, you don't know until... Hey, something's going on. Six months of this has been going on. Why is why am I not getting the rents I should be getting? Oh, it's vacant. Oh, it's been broken into. Oh, there's no furnace. You know, it's just I just feel bad for people that go through that. You know what I mean? I know that story is as old as time too in Detroit. Yeah. Oh, the furnace has got. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I sometimes think like I wonder how many times these Detroit houses have been rehabbed. You know, like, and you could tell, you know, I think my best is I had seven, seven layers on a roof. You got to go back to 2014 on my wow. Facebook and Instagram to see that photo or my next favorite, the 25 coats of paint. And then the paint is actually like peeling off. It's like, I wonder how many times this house has actually been rehabbed. How many Home Depot kitchens did it get? Right. And now it's all gone. Where did it all go? Right. Furnaces, plumbing, all, all this. I actually, uh, when somebody calls me and they want to buy in Detroit, I try and talk them out of it. Yeah, I just I, go immediately. I'm like, well, how do you feel about losing all your money and getting nothing or maybe having to pay more? Are you okay with that? And and some people are like, what? What are you talking about? It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, the reason why there's so much opportunity here is if you're not careful, your 50,000 property could be worth zero or you could actually owe money to yeah. tear it down or something like that. Like things can go that bad. Uh, yeah. th- I'm not trying to terrify people, but a lot of people call. They had not considered that. They're like, what? Really? I'm like, yeah, this is a great opportunity. But if you're looking for class C stuff, Brent Maxwell always likes to joke at it. Buy 10, get eight, sometimes seven. You know? It's, yeah. That's the real deal. No, that, and that's very true. If yep. you're just buying one and that's your, I need this to be my bread and butter because I need to make this, you know, 500 bucks a month after tax Dude. insurance and everything. Probably shouldn't do it in this town, you know, because the odds are something will probably happen at some point in time. Yes, your home will get broken into. They may take your, your furnace and hot water tank, you know, or you're dealing with the city of Detroit. You've got to go through your inspections and get your lead-based paint and reinspect it. And there goes, you know, a couple grand, depending on what kind of work you need done. I mean, it's, it's, it's not cheap, even though the houses might be inexpensive compared to wherever people live in the country. I mean, living in California, I, would never fathom a $25,000 house anywhere, let alone a piece of land, let alone, let alone a house, you know? Um, it's a great market if you, if you know what you're doing, but you really do have to be hands on as any local landlord will, will tell you. If they've got a, a, a pool of properties in Detroit, they're, they're hands on. Well, also, hands-on. folks, if you're going to buy here, come out and visit. Yeah, 100%. Come spend a week, go to some RIAs, set some appointments, go to people's offices. Meet them face to face, meet other people doing things similar to what you're doing. Like if you're going to spend 30 to 70, 80 grand, depending on if you're buying class C to class A, maybe even 90 grand because you want something super nice that rents out and you don't want to worry about it at all. Is that not worth a week trip, a couple, couple thousand dollars between plane tickets and everything else? Come meet the people. Go to Robert's office, come to my office, go to Aria, go to some meetups and just come check it out. Drive the neighborhoods. 
I think it's well worth your time to do. And I think a lot of people will talk themselves out of it doing that, which is great. And I think a lot of people talk themselves into it the same way, which I also think is great. So don't be afraid to spend a couple grand. Like, well, I'd rather put it into a house. Man, do your due diligence. Come yeah. out and meet these people. You know, see who's going to be on your team. Yeah, who's going to help you? Because you're not doing it alone. Um, even if you're here, it's a lot of people don't do that. Like network, go out and drive to their office. I know we can do everything digitally now, but the fact that if somebody has an office, that says something. You can find them. Right. right. You know, do they <laughs> right. have a social media profile? Can you ruin their life if they don't do what they say they're going to, you know, like be, think about these things. Don't, right. I get excited with the opportunity too, but think about the downside and the things that can happen too. get some good people looking out for you. Yeah. And I think it's worth the trip if you haven't. And if you bought some stuff and you haven't made the trip, it's not too late. Just make the trip, man. Come out and meet some people. 100%. You know? If anything, because most people that I know that are buying in Detroit, they want to build a portfolio. you know. And when you can understand the dynamics of Detroit, we can understand certain neighborhoods when I say, hey, this is in Jefferson Chalmers or, hey, this is on the east side at 7 in, McN- you know, at seven in Gratiot or this is southwest Detroit. When you get an understanding of what that is, it's not just a picture on a map or on Google anymore you know you can get an understanding of of the city you get to drive it you know spend an afternoon a guy like todd chun he has investors come into town uh hang out with him he'll drive all around this is what the city is like because it isn't for everybody you know you got to understand the risk and you got to have an appetite for it but if you do like you said come into town meet some people um talk to people uh, go to folks's office spend time in the city and you can decide for yourself either this is worth it for me to take this risk or it's not, you know, sometimes it's better and, and safer to, to be in the suburbs. You'll pay a little bit more, but maybe it's just more your lane. I try to encourage you know? people to have class A, class B, class C, yeah. not necessarily in this Smart. state, but there's, don't get me wrong. Like I, I love class C. All right. I've kind of amended my life to more class B because I know my risk profile now and I'm very yeah. eager. <laughs> <laughs> Let's roll the dice and see what happens here. But you can kind of choose your own adventure here yeah. too. Uh, I just, unless you're willing to lose everything, I wouldn't put it all in here. And there's definitely safety in numbers yeah. when you're doing it too. If you have 10, it's very unlikely that even half of them are going to go wrong at the same time. And then the other half bail out the, and then you're fine. You just write out your five to 15 or 20 years, whatever your plan is. And you do great. Yeah. And I've seen people build entire empires here doing that, that same exact thing and you'll yeah. be fine. But one and done. I try and talk people out of it yeah. or by class A. Yeah. You know, like, okay, you're going to do one. Let's, let's get you in. Let's get you into class A. Yeah. It's probably only going to be seven, 8%, but you're not going to have headaches and it's not going to, it's very unlikely to crater out in the same way that a, that a class C is. hundred percent. And especially, you know, we talk about, you know, the suburbs. I think this is a great area to invest in single family homes um, because the economy is diversifying away from not just so, automobile centric car industry centric um and heck man you can get a home in the suburbs for 75 80 grand it's going to rent for a thousand bucks i mean those numbers are fantastic yep. you know you listen to other podcasts or look at other markets and they're like oh you get that one-to-one ratio a hundred grand you'll get a thousand bucks i'm like i can beat that all day long all day long you know so there's great and especially with financing the way it is i mean I know that there's a few guys. I know a couple that um, are financing some of the, you know, thirty-five to fifty thousand dollar, you know, Detroit investment properties. But if you can't find one and you're paying cash, 
heck, why not diversify that, put that into two separate properties in the suburbs if that's more your appetite. You know, I mean, there's options depending on what you want to do. But there's also areas in Detroit that are seeing great appreciation. Yes. You know, you go in there and you buy right and understand that, hey, I may need to put a little sweat equity in this property or, you know, have some cash come out of my pocket to do a rehab on it. But at the end of the day, you know, you're you're sitting you're sitting pretty. You know? Very few people take advantage of it, but I am super excited about class B bordering class A, especially at the fringes between B and C for patient people. Because when you see the path of progress and you see where it's going and you can buy in before anybody else is willing to buy in, that's what he's talking about with some of these great appreciation opportunities where you see it happening and you see it spreading. And if you're a patient person, everybody wants to flip and wholesale. And I love that too. But for patient people, that's an awesome move to make, especially if you have a good property manager and you just play the waiting game and wait till the path of progress meets it. How many people look like geniuses for that now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just hindsight's always 2020, right? It's as old as time, too. Right. The story's oldest. No more land. They're not making any more of it, right? It comes yeah. and goes in cycles. But yeah, like I'm super excited about Detroit. It's amazing. We have these great A pockets that have blown up. And it's creating all these B and C opportunities yeah. around it that didn't exist right. before. So people are complaining about pricing. I was like, I think strangely in 2020, especially 2021, we're going to have more opportunities, not less because of these anchor areas open up yeah, yeah. previous areas. that just weren't even like their numbers weren't there. It didn't make sense to do. Well, you, know? you see it now, right? You look at something that even you looked at a year ago, two years ago in a neighborhood, you go, what? They're asking too much for it. That same home. That same price today is a bargain, you know, because of what you're talking about. You know, prices going up and and around certain class A areas. You yep. know, it's got to go out. People that can't afford to pay twelve hundred for that one bedroom that class A, well, they can afford a thousand in this class B area that's four blocks away, three blocks away. You know, so um, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. And you know, Detroit like the back of your hand. So well, it happens in the suburbs too. Look what happened to Royal Oak, and then it yeah. pushed it to. Bur- push it to Berkeley, push it to Ferndale, uh, push it to Clawson, push it to Madison Heights. Like this, this, I, mean, I bet if crazy. no matter what market you're in, you can probably find some class A that's been blowing up. And then you can probably look around and see it might even be lower class A being pushed up higher. Some class B. Yeah. I think some of Ferndale, sorry, Ferndale was class C for a little while, you know, and now it's all sure. B and A. Yeah. Almost all A with a little bit of B left. And that was what? Six years, yeah, seven years. It wasn't long ago. Yeah, it seems like it just overnight it happened. I remember wholesaling. People were like, "I'm not paying that." 2014. I'm like, "You'd fucking pay it now, wouldn't you?" Oh yeah. 2019. Right, right. You paid I'd it in a heartbeat. Pay it, right. <laughs> I wish you would have had ten of them. Yeah, twenty of them. Right. Yeah. No, we have a price resistance too, but yeah. things always change. That's actually one of the things I love about being a real estate agent. It forces me to look in areas and do things that I wouldn't normally do. So I see opportunities and see things I wouldn't normally see if I just got my blinders on doing my thing. Well, that's you know? one of the things I love about when I get a chance to talk to you because you look at things sometimes through a different lens when it comes to the city of Detroit, you know, because you live there, because you're in it, because you do so much work in that city. Like, I love just hearing you talk about certain things. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Ooh, this is an area he's looking at, you know. So it's uh, it's it's fun to, to – uh, um, be around guys like you and, and other guys that just have a, a perspective on Detroit that some people maybe don't have. Yeah. It's definitely a hate love relationship, but yeah. I'm pretty committed at this point now, oh, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not leaving without my treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I've 
already done the suffering. I'm not leaving till I get my, my I'm not leaving till I get my treasure. I am not fucking moving until I, I I'm going to figure this damn thing out. Well, there's That's, so much opportunity here, man. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in Detroit, but there's also really a lot of cool stuff that happens in Detroit. You know, and there's just there really is coming from California. You know, I sold a house last year that I was renting for what was I getting fifteen or sixteen hundred? It was a three hundred fifty thousand dollars house. That's crazy. That's so that's so the wrong way. I mean, you think about that. That's so the wrong way. What you can buy out here. I didn't pay that obviously for, but when you look at that at that rent to rent to uh, to purchase ratio, I mean, out here you can in the Midwest you just you can get so much for your money. Um, and just do so well for yourself if you take the time, like you said, to come out and, and check things out and, and invest in an area like this, talk to people like you, you know, come to the RIAs and stuff like that. It's just, I love it, man. I think that Detroit and the surrounding metro Detroit area is just it's fantastic. It's my home. Um, you know, I tell my wife, as long as we can go somewhere in the winter for, you know, a couple of times, let's take a trip. February. Or two. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the month. Then you, I'm good. Then when I'm good. Every February, you get like the second week and you're like, uh. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's Gina's like, 2021 20, goal is the last two weeks of February. Peace out. Because I love Four Seasons too. But yeah. if you haven't been to Michigan, if you're going to get annoyed, it's definitely going to be February. <laughs> yeah. yeah. February and March for me because it's like you start to get some good days. Then it's like winter wants to hang on and it just comes back and grabs you. You're like, oh, one more time. Right. Oh, another eight inches this week. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I remember four years ago, we got snow the second week of May because yeah. it killed my corn because I planted early. Oh. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they tell you the way to the third week. And I was like, yeah, weather report looks good. All that stuff. No, I just wait to the third week now. Yeah. yeah they you never, never know what the weather Murdered my corn. It only lasted three days, but it was long enough to kill everything. Right, right, I bet. <laughs> and then it was 85 degrees. You're like, fucking Michigan. <laughs> That's May for you. <laughs> right. Or like right. last year, we didn't even hit 80 till like the last week of June. Yeah. It was just kind of chilly. Yeah. So, yeah. well. I like the weather here. Is there anything you want to talk about that we didn't talk about or anything you want to plug or anything you want to share with the listeners this is kind of like your opportunity i want to thank you for coming on the podcast sharing your story kind of how you do things how you think um but now it's kind of like my thank you and your opportunity to pitch share whatever you want now's your now's your shot well i have nothing to sell so i won't be pitching anything but um you have a property management company that people (laughs) should be using right they've probably heard you know heard me talk and if it's something that resonates with them you know if you're out there you want to give me a call um, you know, just have a conversation. Maybe you're not even ready to buy. You, by all means, pick up the phone. You know, Jeremy will probably put the number in the in the show notes. Or Absolutely. Something. I know that he mentioned, um, you know, my cell number and my office number. Cell number is the best way to reach me. Um, you can get me right away on that. Um, by all means, reach out to me, and if I can help, I you know, I'd be I'd be glad to help. If we're not a good fit, hey, I get that too. No no harm, no foul. Thank you, sir, for coming on the podcast, folks. Robert Howard. Gabrielle Management. That's Robert at miforrent.com. Hit him up his office, 313-752-3999 or his cell, 248-403-0808. Reach out, at least say thank you for coming on the podcast, but maybe he can help you out. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks. All right, folks. If you enjoy this podcast, 
and you would like to help continue to support it, here are a few things you can do. First, reach out to the guest, say hi, thank them for coming on the podcast, or you can rate and review perfectly free on iTunes. It's a small thing that really does help. I'm trying to push over a hundred reviews right now. And that's like a real free way. So if you don't have money, that's a good way. Or you could share the podcast with others as well. Or you can reach out to me and hire me to list or sell your property for top dollar or anybody on my team. You can hire me to help you find a house, personal or investment, or somebody on my team refer sellers or buyers. Or if you've got any wholesale deals you want to partner up, so go ahead and reach out. These are all different ways you can help support this podcast. If you don't have any money, don't worry about it. Just rate and review on iTunes and share, folks. All right? And as I take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent, I know I say this every week. I know there are many distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits that may prevent you from starting or continuing your goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer to your goals, or as we say in Detroit, every day that gets you closer to your goals, even if it's one step. And I do want to thank you for listening. As always, I always appreciate your attention. And until the next podcast or meeting, crush it. <laughs>